Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened over the last week in the world of wwe we will have a second look at the wrestlemania kickoff press event and everything that has transpired since then along with everything that of course happened across smackdown and raw this week like we usually tell you at the onset of these tuesday shows we have a loaded episode of getting over ahead for you so we are not going to waste any more time getting into it. Allow the Silver King right off the top to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, for vintage Chris Vanini, and yes, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast in totality. Head on over to Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time leave a five-star written review, because if you do, we're going to read it live right here on the show. Just like this brand new review from The One Wise Watch, best wrestling podcast out there, five stars. I've watched wrestling for a long time. I go all the way back to the Attitude Era. I was really young when I started. I've never listened to wrestling podcasts before until I stumbled upon this one around the time that Cody Rhodes returned, and I've been hooked ever since. Having legit reporters talk about it gives it more credibility also enhances the sport aspect of sports entertainment and the Silver King and Vintage nail it. In-depth analysis, and you can tell the love for wrestling. It makes it enjoyable for a fan as if I was listening to a football podcast about my Oklahoma Sooners. Job well done, fellas, and this road to WrestleMania should be a doozy five stars easy. That is a great review from The One Wise Watch. We greatly appreciate it, and we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It is also where you can send in DMs and tweets with questions and comments that we will consider and or read on the show. And I got to be honest, I said this to you, I think the last episode that we had, and I've said it a couple times ever since the Royal Rumble concluded, the Silver King has been slacking a little bit in getting to these DMs and tweets. It's really just because the my life and the show has been so ridiculously busy over the last couple of weeks. We are seeing the interaction. We're seeing all the tweets. We're seeing all the DMs. A lot of them are posing some pretty damn good questions. But between the Super Bowl, everything I had to do over the last week, the Royal Rumble, The Rock, uh, all the machinations with Cody Rhodes and uh, the, the Vince McMahon lawsuit, it has just been impossible for us to find additional time uh, to cover some of those DMs and tweets, some of those questions and comments, especially when we've produced some of our longest shows ever for you over the last couple of weeks. So here's my promise, and hopefully I live up to it. After we finish taping shows this week, so coming out of Thursday's episode, I will go back through the DMs and tweets over the last couple of weeks. I'll check through them, and I'll see if there's anything else that we can use to spurn conversation on the show. We greatly appreciate all the interaction. You guys know we generally call on you as frequently as we can on the show itself. I just wanted to assure you we have not forgotten that the getting overheads mean just as much to the show as Vintage and the Silver King ourselves do. On that note, allow me to also remind you, I happen to love the number 
five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling. Those are instant reaction five-minute shows to Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every week, and you also get exclusive news posts every single Friday. Again, all of that at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. I did want to give a shout-out to our newest getting overhead, Chris D., who signed up just a few days ago. He said, you guys are awesome, A-plus podcast. We appreciate you. We also got a subscriber Juan R. He said, been listening for about three years. Love the coverage of New Japan Wrestling and Wrestle Kingdom. Favorite episode is WWE Tuesday show. Juan, we don't talk that much about New Japan, at least not as much as we used to, but I promise you there was a show this past week. We will cover it at some point over the next two weeks. I'm glad that you listened to us for that. And of course, glad that you listened to us for the WWE show as well. So with that said, Chris, Juan, we appreciate you being Getting Overheads and we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Chris, a lot of acknowledgements to start the show. A lot going on in this extended universe that we have here uh, in getting over. I know I've been immensely busy. You've been immensely busy. It finally feels like, fingers crossed here, we're starting a week of podcasting and things should go as scheduled. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully this I don't think this one will be two and a half hours like we've been doing the last <laughs> couple of weeks. We'll see. Uh wanted to say major thanks for that five star review and that getting overhead. Really thoughtful mm-hmm. responses. We love that. I, I really you can tell a lot of time was put into that. Really appreciate hearing that from everybody. So thank you for that. Uh really means a lot. And yes, we've we 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 did the we did the WrestleMania kickoff last week. We reacted to that. We have a couple of leftover thoughts, but I think it's kind of back to a normal week otherwise. Yeah. And then next week we'll have the Elimination Chamber preview, but this might be a normal week again. Three straight weeks with instant reaction podcasts. Vince McMahon, The Rock and Cody Rhodes situation Friday on SmackDown, the WrestleMania kickoff, one, two, three, not to mention the instant analysis podcast for the Royal Rumble. And now the plan as of right now, I've mentioned it over the last couple of weeks, I'm going to attempt to get you guys the bonus interview episode uh, coming to getting over this week. That's not an instant reaction, so that's not a surprise. It's something I've been working on. We hope to get that to you before the week is out. We have a loaded show, though, as mentioned, Chris. We're going to do a WrestleMania kickoff second look. We're going to go into the main event, as always, cover the good, the bad, and the ugly from the week in WWE, and wrap up with the last word. And we are going to get to all of that. But I'm afraid I've got some news. There's plenty of things elsewhere that happened in the world of WWE and professional wrestling this week. So let's break those down quickly here before we get into the meat of the show. Scott D'Amore was fired as TNA wrestling president after about 20 years with the company. Not an overall shocker to him because he did present an offer apparently to buy TNA from Anthem. Once that was denied, his time was clearly tenuous. There were also apparently numerous disagreements about investments into TNA and such. So just something that fell apart. It seems like Gail Kim and Tommy Dreamer are going to head up creative over there, perhaps for the respective men's and women's divisions, or I guess women's and men's divisions. Um, it just sucks that TNA really seems to be rolling right now. And then this happened just as they changed the brand, just as business was picking up. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know a ton about TNA. I don't follow it that closely, but I, I've seen people surprised, at least, that it happened. And a lot of people seem to really, really like Scott and the work he did at TNA. So, uh, you know, they're back to TNA now. Obviously, they, they changed from Impact back to TNA. And this is a pretty big change at the top, it feels like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we also have Steve Mongo McMichael, who is now going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Went to Texas. Best known for his career, of course, with the Chicago Bears. He made his first wrestling appearance, actually doing commentary alongside Vince McMahon on an episode of Raw before WrestleMania 11, where he was alongside Lawrence Taylor for that Bam Bam Bigelow match, which I, by the way, feel is underrated. I love that match. It was so much fun when I was a kid. Uh, WCW scooped him up after that for commentary because that's what WCW did at that time. When someone showed up on WWF and got a little bit of interest or momentum, they tried to sign them. He ran angles with Jeff Jarrett. The Four Horsemen, NWO. He was up there for about five years. And best I remember, he was always over when he was on screen. So congrats to Mongo getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's awesome, man. There's been a big push the last couple of years for Mongo to get into the Hall of Fame. He's been battling ALS uh, for a while now. He's been in rough shape sometimes, but really, really cool um, that he got this honor. Very well-deserved. Shout out to Mongo. Loved him back in the day on, on Nitro. Yeah, he was great. I'm just glad that the, some of, some people who are long deserving but overlooked are finally getting into the Hall of Fame. Zach Thomas just recently got in. Obviously, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, but the fact that this guy had stats comparable to some of the best linebackers in the Hall of Fame already and just kept getting overlooked year after year, it, was, it pissed me off immensely. Fred Taylor is now someone who just seems to not get momentum to get in. I feel like eventually he will, but it remains a frustration of mine. But Mongo, him getting in, like you said, well-deserved and long overdue. Uh, We did briefly mention this on the WrestleMania kickoff instant reaction, but WWE did announce a new show called Speed, which is going to start in spring 2024, so pretty damn soon. Uh, It's going to be exclusive on Twitter, and it's basically matches that will be five minutes or less airing on that platform. So it's going to be real interesting. I know they've taped a bunch already. My expectation is those were all test matches just to kind of confirm that the concept would work and sell it maybe to Twitter or come to some kind of agreement on that's something that they wanted to do. It's real interesting they're going in this direction. I've told you for a long time, I've told our listeners for a long time, and this actually preceded the invention of the 24-7 championship for WWE. I came up with that idea years before it actually existed. But the idea was to start doing social media-based professional wrestling that ties into the larger product. You could have that 24-7 title, again, pre-green and gold, shitty-looking thing that they actually debuted. Um, You could have it be on TV and be a real title, but also randomly on a Wednesday at 4 p.m., get defended backstage at a house show. Or you could do a five-minute match exclusive on Twitter because someone made a challenge and they do it in the ring before an episode of SmackDown is about to start. That's not what this is, but this is WWE dipping its toe into doing something more exclusive for social media. Obviously, they did the mixed match challenge on YouTube for a period of time, or Facebook, I'm sorry, not YouTube, uh, for a period of time. That was successful in that it was entertaining, but clearly not successful enough to continue doing. I just like to see them try new things. Is this going to work? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, look, I first of all, it's technically it's not Twitter, it's X, though I'm glad you didn't say X. I still I'm still not well, used to Why are you even making now, the correction? Let's not put it out there. Let's it. just continue calling they it could, what it is. They, they say it's on X, and I'm just like, God, I cringe every time. It's I the say worst. That. As as someone who is on Twitter all day, I don't 
think I'm going to watch this just because Twitter's not a video platform as much as Elon Musk is trying. trying to make it be. Yeah. But look, Twitter's doing a bunch of different partnerships right now, trying a bunch of different things. Jim Rome's show is actually going to be on there uh, pretty soon or something like that. So, so some weird stuff going on. I think there's a world of possibility for social media stuff, like you said. Um, they've just never done it, and I don't expect them to do it here. It sounds like it's just going to be five-minute matches. We just mentioned TNA. They've got the digital media championship, mm-hmm. you know, w- which is kind of stuff like this. I thought for years, going back many years, that uh, Zack Ryder's internet championship should have been defended regularly Absolutely. on YouTube and Twitter and all yep. these kinds of stuff, and they just never did anything with it. So I'm guessing this is just going to be some matches. It's probably not going to be much, but I think there is an opportunity if they try to make it more than that. I just I doubt that they will. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be siloed pretty much is what I'm trying to say. But it would be yeah. cool if it factored into programming. It just it's just probably not going to. It's just really the truth about it. Um, it'll be like another main. It'll be like another main event, which I don't even know if you can get that in the U.S. anymore. Uh, you can get it delayed on Peacock like a month after the shows actually air. And I think they used to be on Hulu, but are no longer on Hulu first run. So I think you can only get it second run on Peacock as of right now, which I haven't watched those in years. So there you go. Um, WWE on Monday night debuted, I don't want to say new uh, because it's just the same LED boards, but improved uh, ring apron and barricade graphics, at least in terms of a overall package for Raw. I'm not sure how much you noticed, but they went plain Mm -hmm. black with the Raw and WWE logos instead of bright red. And this is after they had already changed them a couple weeks ago. So if you rewind, you know, into late 2023, early 2024, when Kevin Dunn was still around, everything was bright red. The barricades, the ring apron, the crowd was lit up in really bright red. Earlier this month, they toned it down. They took the red graphics and they added a lot of black to them instead of having like silver, which made them a little bit darker. They also toned down the lights in the crowd. And then if you watch Raw from this past Monday, the crowd was lit up in just a regular light, very dim, and the barricades were completely black. For me, it was a huge improvement to the broadcast. It made it much easier on the eyes. It made watching it better. I bet you it was better from the crowd in terms of uh, the way they viewed the action themselves. It really caught my eye. They also had special treatments around the barricades for the Elimination Chamber qualifying matches. They've been trying different camera angles out of the corners for hot tags and key moments and matches like that. Really, to this point, I'm not sure there has been a production change that has not improved the broadcast to this point. They even did something fun. You know, they always do the outside the arena shot. Well, they did that this week for Rupp Arena, and they had Nikki Cross aimlessly walk in front of Rupp Arena instead of her doing one of the backstage segments. And I know that's not really production, but that's just a fun element they added to it. Point being, they're doing a more sports-based presentation. They're getting a little bit more serious with it. And anyone who used to watch Black and Gold NXT was definitely familiar with the way the crowd looked. And I should note, that's the way they have the crowd look during matches. That way your concentration can be on what's happening under the spotlight in the ring. During promos and other segments, they still would light up the crowd again because... You want to see the crowd react to the promo segment. It's less important to be so honed in on the action inside the ring. Yeah, I actually noticed quite a bit, along with the stuff that you mentioned that I I liked. um, There were some new camera angles 
there, there was a there was a one D that they delivered in the opening match on Raw where there was like a the camera was moving outside the ring. Uh, there was some more camera shots near the turnbuckle. There was the uh, New Day Jey Uso backstage promo where they were like way back where you could like see their legs and stuff like that. Normally we're zoomed up in on everybody's faces. That jumped out to me as well. So um, yeah, it was interesting. I like the black with the red. Like you said, easier on the eyes. They kind of just hit you with a lot of colors in the past. So, you know, we talked about a couple weeks back when Kevin Dunn left, there'd probably be some more changes where I continue to like the transitions to commercials, highlighting the wrestlers, the mm-hmm. pop up graphics and stuff like that, showing some statistics, a uh, bunch of little things, but it's it's adding to it and it's just making it all feel more, I don't know, legitimate, but just, it, it, I guess, legitimate's the word. I, I like it. A couple more things. These are all pretty much commentary and show based. And you can just get in at the end and kind of wrap them up with anything that piques your interest. Uh, Corey Graves was far improved calling play by play in terms of the matches on SmackDown. It's just one week after his debut in that role. We're not going to discuss him weekly, but I did want to give him some props because that was the only criticism I had for him a week ago. Speaking of commentary, Pat McAfee had the line of the year so far in WWE. During Raw, he said, I'm 36 and I pulled a muscle taking a dump the other day. And let me tell you, that shit hit home. I, I don't I don't really know what else to say to you, but that hit home. And lastly, there's just something about SmackDown. Maybe it's the crowd, the show as a whole. It just feels less lively than Raw on a week-to-week basis. Even when the fans on SmackDown are better than the fans on Raw, Raw still feels like a more lively show. I can't put my finger on it, but like Monday night, they build excitement. And SmackDown, it just sometimes feels like that doesn't happen. That's not going to be the case this week. we got Roman Reigns and The Rock on that show, but it does feel that way most weeks for me. Yeah, I think part of that might be Raw kind of highlights all the faces, while SmackDown's biggest stars are mostly the heels. Roman, Logan Paul, uh, AJ Styles is kind of in between. Um, but Raw does feel like an absolutely livelier show. One other production thing I forgot to mention that sure. I have in my notes. There were some hard cam angle pins, which we don't normally oh, get. Oh, really? Normally I, it's all, I normally that. you cut to the, to the to the camera by the side of the ring for the yeah. pin. There were a couple it was on the hard cam, and I just noticed that. I like that. I'm a big hard cam guy, so uh, I like that. Yeah, I didn't even notice that, so I'm glad you pointed it out. That's That's pretty damn cool. All right, that was, I'm afraid I've got some news. Let's go ahead and move into our WrestleMania XL kickoff second look. Now, as promised, I spent a significant portion of my weekend that was not otherwise busy with, you know, Super Bowl preparations, uh, doing a Zapruder film style investigation into the entire Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, The Rock, Seth Rollins situation. I went all the way back to September when The Rock made that appearance on ESPN and then Again, SmackDown uh, the same day. Because the goal was to determine whether there was any possibility that this has been a well-orchestrated work from the start, I can tell you that, well, I can tell you two things. One, there isn't really much else for us to discuss to that end. Um, And on top of that, if anyone who does subscribe and is a official getting overhead read the news post, this was a pivot. I mean, we can talk about how closely everything works together and how many plot holes have been filled already. And the answer is a lot. They've actually done a fantastic job to this point. Um, But 
that does not change the fact that it was indeed a pivot and there is still one meatball of a plot hole that has yet to be filled. And we will get to that before this segment is out. But before we do, I want to get to a couple of items I felt we needed to discuss coming out of the WrestleMania kickoff and this larger storyline at a wider glance. And I want to go all the way back quickly to that September interview on ESPN because The Rock mentioned giving fans something, quote, special and, quote, unprecedented for WrestleMania 40. So even dating back to September, Chris, he probably had an inkling that him being at Mania in some form or fashion was likely. And if you think about it, three months of negotiations from September until when he was announced as part of the TKO board in January, that does sound about right. So it feels likely to me that they had something on paper and he kind of knew he was coming back and he was almost teasing it in that moment. Yeah, I mean, we thought that at the time, you know, why mention it if it, if it wasn't going to happen? You know, that was my first reaction um, to give to talk about storylines and things that didn't happen. It was very interesting and, and, and strange. And also, also looking back when The Rock first came out a couple weeks ago on SmackDown, dude is leaner than he's been in a very, very long time. That does not happen overnight. No, <laughs> that that is something you spend months preparing. Correct. for. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And he mentioned on the Pat McAfee show that he has rings in Hawaii and rings on the West Coast of the mainland United States, and he's been training. You don't sign you know, the TKO board deal, and they all of a sudden set up eight rings for you and you start training. You're doing that probably at the end of 2023, coming into 2024. So there's been something out there, and who knew about it, and whether they knew it was going to, you know, Triple H or Paul Levesque, where it was going to take the place of Cody Rhodes winning um, the Royal Rumble and challenging Roman Reigns for the main event of WrestleMania. You can't think that's the case because, again, that match ended A, with Cody winning at all, and B, with him literally pointing to the sign and then pointing to Roman Reigns. So there's something about that period of time that just remains a huge question, but it also proves that this was a pivot from the start. And again, I could go through all the individual points that I found, but they're things that we've pretty much already discussed, so we're not going to waste time doing that because, again, we've had like three shows that have gone two and a half hours, and we're not trying yes. to do that again. Uh, so let's move on to the kickoff itself. CM Punk, he was on one during the panel discussions. There were like three different coded AEW shots, and the most notable was there are a lot of men who wear man buns, and they aren't always attached to men. Or maybe it's a lot of people. Uh, but you get my joke. No, he there. said men. He said, he said men. men. Yeah. So... That obviously was immensely telling. And of course, he did the he got punched in the face by his boss. Very sneaky. Beyond those two things, though, with Punk, he just seems, Chris, like, is this crazy to say legitimately happy? I know like he had those same vibes in AEW for a while until he didn't. But it almost radiates on screen in WWE that he is legitimately just happy to be there. I, I said that from the beginning is that it felt so natural for him to be back. And I think it felt natural for us as fans and for him. I said this when he went to AEW, but like 
he was more of a WWE guy yeah. to most people than an indie guy. The indie run was a long time ago and, and not nearly, I don't think, as long as he was on top or near the top in WWE. He just fits here. And he also comes in here not needing to be locker room leader, not the biggest star in the company, not needing to carry the load, not being chip on your shoulder company. I've got to prove WWE mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. He's past that in his life. He's back. He's made amends. He's getting paid handsomely to do it. He's sad that, you know, he he's sad that he's not getting his WrestleMania spot, but he just he doesn't have to do nearly as much here. And I think he um, I think he's enjoying that and accepting that at this stage in his career. No doubt about it. Let's move into talking about the four R's, which is what we can probably call them going forward. Reigns, Rock, uh, Rollins and Rhodes, right? The on <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. The on screen dynamic right now between Rock and Reigns, it is. So, so interesting. Every time they are on screen together, Roman almost immediately falls behind Rock into a role as like little brother or little cousin. Rock obviously dwarfs him in size, but you saw like the face-to-face with Cody and Rock stepping in front of Roman. And then in the Triple H confrontation backstage, it was Rock talking and getting in Paul Levesque's face with Roman almost in the Usos old role of like co-signing, like Dwayne Johnson walks away and then Roman walks up and says, you know, I forgot exactly what he said, but you're lucky you're retired or something like that. It's definitely purposeful. They're doing it that way. And it blends into the head of the table comments from Rock when he made that surprise appearance on Raw a few weeks ago. It also, Chris, creates so many intriguing possibilities in and around the match, WrestleMania and WWE going forward. Imagine Reigns like, giving Solo Sokoa an instruction and Rock overruling him and Solo listening to Rock instead of Reigns. After all, Rock is legitimately, in reality, the high chief, while Roman is a kayfabe tribal chief. It is also a facet of their relationship that Cody and Seth can even dig into as that storyline progresses, trying to wedge drive Rock and Reigns over who is the real leader of the family, That could set up their match at WrestleMania 41 or another event. It could also start what should be a long process of Roman eventually turning face if executed right. So I just find their dynamic dynamic super interesting and all of the possibilities that can come out of it going forward, real enticing. I completely agree. And it's something I'm kind of concerned about right now, which we will get into later with what happened with Raw, but Mm -hmm. Rock very much feels like the bigger person Mm -hmm. and coming out of Thursday, it feels like rock Cody (laughs) is the bigger story right now. Cause that's where we got the physical confrontation. Similar to how we said last week that Roman Seth felt more like a thing because of the barbs that they were having with each other. So I do think like, look, Roman's going to main event, like his eighth WrestleMania in a row or something like that. He's been the champion for a thousand days. He, he is this, giant figure but the rocks return has reminded us that he is not on that goat level yet and i'm going to be very very curious to see that dynamic on friday when we have rock and roman back is roman going to stand back is he is rock going to stand behind him Mm -hmm. rocks uh, roman's the one main eventing the end of wrestlemania xl so like that has to be established in some way it also sets up i think like you said if we come out of whatever happens at WrestleMania with Roman Rock at some point, is Roman the face in that? 
I think people might get behind that. They Absolutely. Really like chanting Rocky sucks right now. Absolutely. Rock's doing a really, Rock's doing a really good job of being a real heel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I don't think like you that this was the plan originally, but I think it's working. I, I, I said last week too, like, I think they, I, I don't think it was a work, uh, but I don't care. Uh, because I, I like where we're at now. There's a, there's a world of really interesting possibilities and different things we could do, and it's working. So I hope they continue to lean into this. But you got you can't you can't let Roman fall too far behind the rock yet. Yeah, and something you said there is so interesting. Like, look, we're all excited for Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. Everyone wanted the rematch. We're getting the rematch. That's great. But I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Cody Rhodes against the Rock and Roman Reigns against Seth Rollins. Those are freaking interesting matches. And, you know, Reigns, Rollins, you can do anytime, anywhere for any reason. You know what I mean? But that got amped up in a major way over the last couple of weeks. And like you said, Cody Rock, and we'll talk more about this in the main event when we talk about what happened on Raw, that amped up to a significant degree. And it's like, okay, yes, we're still going to get the match that we want at WrestleMania. But damn it, if I don't want both of those at some point. Yep, exactly. It it opens up possibilities, dream matches, what have you. And that's why I'm so curious. The Rock's back to wrestle. Is it going to be just one tag team match or is it going to be a lot more? I'm very right. Curious. Is he going to make appearances? Like, you know, this is a multi-year um, board deal. I think there's escalators or ways that he gets his 30 million. Obviously, he's going to be on the board. One would presume not forever, but indefinitely. Um, but in terms of the escalators, has he made an agreement to wrestle at the next three WrestleManias? Do we get... Does does Cody beat Roman and then The Rock decides he wants to take the title back for their family? And we get that match mm-hmm. at SummerSlam or wherever. I mean, Saudi, Ra- Saudi like Arabia, the, the Rock's doing multiple matches. There's got to be a Saudi Arabia, right? You would think so. At least one as part of it. So there are so many different ways this can go. That, and that just is so crazy. But the Reigns Rock dynamic is really at the heart of the entire thing. And depending the way they book that, it can split off in so many different directions. Now, moving away from them, something else that hit for me at the kickoff was Rollins so adamantly screaming, you just can't do whatever the fuck you want at Rock. And then Rock hysterically and much more calmly replying, yes, I can. <laughs> it, it fits so well with Seth's character, both the fact that he knows what it's like to get away with whatever back in the day as the architect, but now the fact that he's very much a company guy especially during this babyface run. And he's been protecting WWE both internally and externally over the last five years. That post-slap aggression that Rollins showed, coupled with what we got from him on Monday night, which we'll talk about later, that went a long way to rehabbing the image that we had discussed had been knocked down a few pegs over the last two weeks. Yes, completely agree on all of that. And... uh, you know, we mentioned the cursing too last week, but it just, I really liked everything that came out of that. Uh, it felt real. It felt like a UFC type of thing. And then you got that like WrestleMania commercial out of it that mm-hmm. they aired a couple times during Raw and on social media. That looks awesome. Oh my and you God. got the four of them face to face. Like it really feels like tag team match at least is coming out of that. But man, it feels like a huge deal. And if this was a pivot again, I think it's the best thing they could have possibly done. For sure. Now it was also great to see The Rock legitimately mad, like filled with rage and confidence and ego. It was perhaps the most real I can remember him coming across 
as a wrestling character. Not him just showing up in WWE, but when he's been in character. It's someone who legitimately makes you pause and say, like, holy shit. Like, this guy could kill Cody Rhodes, legitimately, right? Not the goofy shit, not the Hollywood shit. I keep seeing people call him Hollywood Rock. That's not this character. This is the no, high chief. Yet. No, yeah. this is the high chief. This is the board member. Hollywood Rock was a delusional narcissist. High Chief Rock is privileged, entitled. He's a hypocrite. It is completely different as far as I'm concerned. Yes, no, it's not that. I mean, people think about that because that was the last heel rock we got. But you know what he is more like is corporate rock. I mean, technically closer to this. Yeah, it's closer to corporate rock when he teamed with the heads of the company to get the championship shot and win Survivor Series deadly game back in 1998. Um, It's not exactly that, but it's a lot more of that than this. And again, I'm very fascinated to see how they lean into it on Friday. They mentioned it at the kickoff, but are, are they going to lean into rock being a board member to being in charge of the company to technically being higher than Triple H in the company, you know, org chart? Uh, these are the things that they're sort of hinting at here, which we'll get into. Yeah. And best I can tell, and this is circling back to what I mentioned at the beginning, I said, you know, they've closed up. Let's make believe there were 10 plot holes. They've closed up nine of them, but there's one that's remaining, Chris, and that's Cody on that SmackDown after Royal Rumble saying he would finish the story and destroy Roman, just not at WrestleMania. As we've discussed, it was so against his on-screen character. It took away agency from him that he's had. His whole career, he's pushed through obstacles. He's overcome adversity. So him stepping aside in that moment was just nonsensical. And while it might get addressed at some point, we still have more than 50 days until WrestleMania. There's plenty of promo time over the next seven weeks. I just feel like it should have been part of his promo Friday, except he wasn't on SmackDown Live, which was a mistake. Or it should have been part of his promo Monday night, which it was not. And we'll talk about that later. So the question is, how can they make this work? And for me, if WWE wants to claim that it is fully invested in long-term storytelling, even in a situation where it changes plans and pivots like it did here, it cannot leave a plot hole that large lingering over the story. So for me, the family lineage aspect has to play into it. The story should be Cody going to The Rock in good faith, asking for advice. Rock telling Cody he will knock Reigns and the bloodline down a peg that will level the playing field so that Cody can get a fair match and the best chance to finish the story. Except... Cody finds out during the WrestleMania kickoff that Rock, who was leveraging his board seat as the reason he could do that to his cousin, has no interest in taking out Roman. He just wants to consolidate power within the family as the high chief. That directly leads to this. This, this right here is bullshit. And then everything that transpires after that line. If you remember, Paul Levesque, Nick Aldis, Adam Pierce, they all came out almost indicating as if Cody was out there against the plan. It closes the logic gap. It makes Rock look like a bigger heel. And it gives Cody a decent excuse that he can use as a trusting company man babyface. But, and this is important, Cody needs to tell us this. We cannot be expected to just assume it. Yeah, they never really explained why Cody changed his mind. 
And that is why uh, I continue to believe it was not a work, that it was a pivot. And it seems to me that they're just moving on. It, you know, your chance was Monday night to do it. We'll get into what happened Monday night. But he didn't say, you know, I listened to the fans and I changed my mind. That didn't happen. So, so clearly, they're just, I think they're just moving forward now with that. They're not going to include, uh, you know, they put up the video. They took away the handshake uh, on YouTube uh, last week. I think they're just kind of retconning that little part of it and are going to try to ignore it moving forward. I could be wrong, but that was the vibe I got, uh, especially after Monday. That's the vibe I get as well. I just hope it's not the case because I because it's it's right there for them to do. I just explained it and you don't even have to yes. go with you don't even have to go with my booking. You can choose two or three different angles and pretty much get to the same conclusion. So it is able to be repaired. And it would create for a really interesting in-ring segment. But you're right. I get the feeling that they're kind of it, just going to let it go. It, it, it also, I mean, I guess it may, maybe they save it for the next time we see Rock Roman. Because Rock should be like, dude, what the hell? You, you you said I could have the main event. What changed? And then Cody has to explain himself. Yeah. Or, you know, The Rock, they changed it to Roman getting to pick his opponent without really saying why exactly right. other than Cody. And we're just going with that. So, yeah, which is bullshit because the, the, the champions Roman, never picked his opponent like that. Yes, they said Roman got to choose his opponent, but he was too pompous of a champion to think that he could do that. Cody reminded us that he won the Rumble and he yeah. chose Rumble. Yeah, the that's idea was that what they're go- that's the, what they're going with. The idea was that Reigns had the ego to say think he could do it just because Cody didn't make his decision yet. And it was like, well, no, he did make his decision. He said he wasn't going to fight right. you at WrestleMania, right? Like, that's what happened. So. That's the frustration, and that's why I hope that they do fill it in. Like I said, we got 50-plus days. I just gave them one avenue to do it. Hopefully, they choose that or something else, but they at least do it. But one huge benefit, Chris, to this storyline pivot is that this actually has given Cody even greater adversity than he had last year or would have had this year without Rock involved. There were a lot of fans complaining over the last year. I think we even mentioned it to a degree as well that his road back to WrestleMania was too easy. He had too many rematches, too many series sweeps, only like one loss if memory serves the entire year. Well, guess what? Rock and Reigns is as much adversity as one could possibly face. That should make a potential win only feel more epic in Philadelphia. And Chris, dare I say, if Cody does ultimately win, it might actually justify the WrestleMania 39 booking as well. In, in what way? Not in the moment, but in retrospect. Because it's one thing to beat Roman Reigns and finish your story and just win at WrestleMania 39. But to now overcome Reigns and The Rock at WrestleMania 40 after another year being pushed away from the title, it doesn't mean that it, all of a sudden the last year's creative was incredible and that it was great not having the WWE champion around for four months. But in terms of the Cody Rhodes moment in a silo, I think it would be bigger. Oh, I, I agree. I, I I do agree. They are clearly giving Cody everything now and being like, okay, you are 100% the guy at the end of it. So yes, like I said, I think they did fix it. I think what they're going to end up giving us is better, but that wasn't the plan a year ago. Right. And the path in the, in the path here was not, uh, was not, laid out that way either correct because cody didn't cody had to overcome more adversity going to the first fight against roman reigns than he did the second one but the second one will feel bigger but that was only by virtue of his torn pectoral right 
<laughs> I mean, it was just an injury. That and the coming back from AEW storyline, which they didn't, they kind of leaned into, but not right. toward the end. But that, but that to me, that was the, that was, that's what made it one of the crazy stories in wrestling. The guy left WWE, made a new company, came back, tears his back, comes back from that, wins the championship. That's an amazing story. They didn't tell that story going in the final couple of weeks last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and pretty clear they're not going back to that. Well, they didn't want to make it about that. They wanted to make it about no, him. And which I, is I get the right why. Thing. Yeah. The, it, it does lend credence, though, to say like Cody coming into WWE and 12 months later winning the championship, which was his stated goal and the whole reason he returned in kayfabe. That would have been a pretty quick turnaround. Like it is fair to note that. So again, the, the singular idea of pushing off the title win one year, not a problem. Um, the idea now that he's going to face greater adversity trying to win the championship, a huge positive. But it doesn't change the fact that when Triple H sat in that press conference and said, if we weren't really confident about what we were doing going forward, we wouldn't have done this. Well, what did you do? You had a couple months still where Roman Reigns mattered. Then the bloodline completely disintegrated in terms of relevance. Cody Rhodes has, because he wouldn't challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship, has just been in these endless feuds that he wins and doesn't really face much adversity in. And now he won the Royal Rumble again and we're back where we started. So it doesn't lend credence to what Triple H said. But is it possible now that the moment can be bigger in Philadelphia than it would have been last year? Absolutely. Completely. And it will be. Yes. Yeah. It worked out. So just a couple more items and then we will get out of this segment. The WrestleMania kickoff in general, Chris, established so many storyline details in such a short period of time. Besides the obvious match bookings and the overarching storyline, Rock is now an official on-screen authority figure of some degree. He's a member of the board in kayfabe, not just reality. The Rock Triple H feud got reignited 20 years later. Cody and Rock have tension, as we mentioned. Rollins and Rock have tension, as we mentioned. And that's only aided by Rollins' long-term relationship with Triple H and Cody's budding relationship with Triple H. Reigns and Rollins rekindled their feud face-to-face. The bloodline is somehow more powerful than ever. It felt to me on rewatch, and I know I said this briefly on the instant reaction, but it felt to me like they were setting up multiple angles to take this storyline into the next year or even the next two years. I mean, just consider everything I laid out there, not extrapolating it going forward. Yeah, again, if this was a pivot, they pivoted into the greatest thing possible. And I don't really care anymore what it is because they have set us up now with so many interesting things. This is the fu- this is the great thing about wrestling is that if something's not working or something doesn't work the way you thought it could, you can adjust and do something better. That's why we love pro wrestling. That's why it's that's why it, uh, it lasts the way it does. That's why it's viewership like pro sports, because people can invest in that stuff and, and, and you can get the story right. And that's what they're doing here. And I love it. Exactly. And that actually allows me to transition to what I wanted to wrap with. As you all know, I was immensely disappointed with Dwayne Johnson a week ago coming out of that SmackDown. And a little bit. I was a little. And I want to reiterate that I stand by every word that I said, because what The Rock did in that moment and in the lead up to it was toss decades of goodwill and decades of positive comments about the wrestling business aside simply to feed his own ego and boost his own profile. It's those decades of goodwill that made it so disappointing to see him assert his power and exert his influence primarily to boost his ego and politic himself back into the spotlight. And from my understanding, again, unless they kayfabe, a significant part 
of the WWE staff beyond talent and creative, which is very difficult to believe. That's exactly what happened. However, and this is important to say because everyone, Chris, these days digs into their opinions and their stances and their decisions, and they refuse to acknowledge wrongdoing or bad choices. The Rock turned around and basically said, you know what? I do love this business. I do love the fans. I do love WWE and my cousins and the Rhodes family, and I'm going to do what's right for the sake of all of them. My ego be damned. Dwayne Johnson proved all of those tales he's told and all of those comments he's made are his true beliefs, that he does love this business unconditionally, which is exactly why what he did needed to be questioned. What The Rock ultimately did when faced with this dilemma was give up a WrestleMania main event, at least for night two. He turned heel, despite that not being his brand. And in doing so, Chris, we now have something far better than we otherwise hoped and could have expected. This is not a mea culpa by any means, because again, I stand by what I said, but being someone who has watched wrestling for three decades and followed this guy's career in and out of the ring the entire time, the ups and downs, all of it, it truly felt good to have him turn around, overcome the legitimate criticisms, and be the type of person he purports himself to be, one who ultimately stands by what he held true to himself and ultimately literally chose to do what was best for the business and best for the fans over his own ego. And Dwayne Johnson deserves credit for not only doing what was right, but ultimately living up to the high standard he's created for himself, even if he shifted off track for a bit there. He might be a heel now, Chris. The Rock, to me, he's a babyface again. And here's the thing. I think this is going to help his career and everything he wants to do. The Absolutely. Got in, the criticism he always got in Hollywood was that he had to be the biggest guy, the best guy every time, uh, can't look bad, can't do all this stuff. Again, it, it, it's, it was him taking a risk to do this again, to be a bad guy, even though they just announced Moana 2. You know? like, <laughs> I, I think this is going to open up a world of appreciation for The Rock again and a world of possibilities and different things he can do. Rock turning heel became a story everywhere outside of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And people people took the, the video of The Rock being booed and misconstrued it for certain other things. And The Rock had to reply on Twitter with a very long explanation uh, what, what turning heel means. Um, I listened to a comic book movie podcast that talked about uh, The Rock uh, thinking he could come back and save wrestling and turning heel like... That's like it's a it, we're talking about the rock now and we're talking about him in an exciting way. And I think that will ultimately uh, be good for everybody. And let's not forget his best role, at least as far as I was concerned, when he joined the Fast and the Furious series was in Fast Five when he was basically the heel because he was the police. Right. Yeah. This now creates an opportunity for the rock to go and be a villain in films. Not that he couldn't have done that anyway if he wanted to, but. Maybe he was pushing it off because, like you said, he always wanted to be the babyface. He always wanted to be the hero. He always wanted to be the guy that people loved and praised. And you think about when characters go through their careers, when they sometimes will make that transition. Rock, Dwayne Johnson, has a chance to be an all-time bad guy in movies and films. But he just hasn't really gone down that path. Not saying this is going to directly lead to that, but I would not be surprised if he starts getting offers for roles 
in that type of vein, now that they see what he can do and certainly what he's going to be doing in this role with WWE over the next couple of months. And you know what? It's the exact same thing we said about Roman Reigns within wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, go heel to go guy. face. You Let gotta go heel to go face. He'll be an amazing bad guy. And then when you turn him good guy again, we're going to love it. And that's it's how it always works. It's how it's always worked. So it, it's uh, always I'm, I'm worked in wrestling it. history. It just happened with Seth Rollins. He was heel for a long time. Now he's the second most over babyface, third most over babyface in the company. I mean, it, you see it, man. It, the cycle repeats. And again, I just want to give I hate using the term give someone their flowers, but he deserves the credit here for turning around, putting the ego aside and saying, you know what? The fans revolted. Good. Let's take advantage of it. That's and I, who The Rock is. And I think he's going to have a lot more fun with it, too. Oh, my God. It's going to be so much more fun. That's the, the Cody crybaby, the Cody crybaby thing. Like you could tell, oh, he liked doing that. You know, let him do that. It'll be fun. Absolutely. All right, Chris, that extended WrestleMania kickoff second look is now out of the way. So let's get into the show as we always do by sliding into the main event. And we're not going to stretch too far from what we just discussed, because after a WrestleMania kickoff recap, Triple H opened SmackDown on Friday with Aldis and Pierce already in the ring. Pierce was dressed like he was a marketing executive for the Eagles. Levesque said he was in the ring to clear something up and the crowd immediately chanted Rocky sucks. I need to pause here because this was the strangest Rocky sucks chant I have ever heard. Instead of Rocky sucks, Rocky sucks, it was Rocky sucks. Yes. Basically the cadence of let's go blank, blank or whatever. And I just don't know how that could possibly happen. It completely threw me off my game. I think it was like, I think it was a mix between a we want Cody and a Rocky sucks. And it just didn't work. It was was Rocky sucks. And it's like, yeah, I think what? It was we, I think it was, we want Cody, clap, 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 clap. But it turned into Rocky sucks, clap, 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 clap. So weird. weird. Okay, I'm just glad it wasn't me because it threw me off as I was breaking yes. stuff down. Anyway, Levesque said some people don't know their role and they tried to assert authority when they don't actually have any. Triple H said he doesn't care where you sit. The answers all come from one place, him. He reiterated that Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes Will main event WrestleMania 40, loud Cody chants. Paul said that decision might disappoint some, but it doesn't matter if you don't like that decision. More from this segment later. It was all fine. I wouldn't necessarily, Chris, say it was something that moved the needle, but it accomplished the goal of Levesque asserting his authority in the face of a hostile rock who is trying to use his newfound power to overrule him. I wish he had directly addressed what happened on the stage and in the backstage segment as well, rather than just alluding to it. I also thought he could have punctuated know your role and it doesn't matter a little bit more because if you weren't listening for them, they easily could have just come off like regular phrases. This was a rare situation where Paul didn't hit a home run where he himself is part of the storytelling. But like I said, it ultimately accomplished its goal to move the story forward and alert the audience that the Triple H rock animosity was not over. It's also an extremely interesting subplot to the entire story. Babyface authority figure Paul Levesque against heel board member Dwayne Johnson. Imagine being told that would happen 15 years ago. I know he can't wrestle, 
But man, if Triple H did like a sledgehammer shot at some point, that would be pretty cool. You remember a couple of years ago, uh, there was, I think it was a SmackDown celebration or something. Rock came back and we got Triple H and The Rock backstage with Stephanie and yes. talking about like, I love that. That was man. a while that was ago. A, that was a long that time was ago. That was a crazy, awesome segment where they're talking about, hey, let's let's run it again. Let's main event WrestleMania again. They've got to do, they always get competitive with each other. As much as people always talk about Rock Austin as the big wrestling rivalry, it's really Triple H and Rock who came up together, mm-hmm. fought each other along the way, main evented WrestleMania 2000 with each other. They had the Intercontinental Triple- title feud that started Rock on his progression all the way up. Yeah, at the at the at the Highway to Hell Survivor Series as well. Like Triple H has always compared himself to The Rock like that, and and, and so as Rock went off and went did big in Hollywood. Triple H started running the wrestling business, and so like there's always a natural competitiveness there, and so I love that Triple H has become a part of this uh, again. But it is interesting that he is back in an authority role, which we haven't seen him in a while. He'll make appearances. He'll make an announcement, um, but he hasn't like been an on-screen character in quite a while. And so that's interesting. And he, he'll be doing it in a face roll this time. He didn't really mention The Rock being on the board. You know, I, I'm curious if they will specifically talk about that. Um, uh, perhaps, you know, something will happen with Triple H and The Rock on a Friday. Mm-hmm. But this also, again, brings back the thing I said before, which was, all the attention's on The Rock and not Roman. This week, uh, yes. And, yeah, and so I, I, it's just another thing where Rock is overshadowing Roman with everything. The whole thing coming out of that was supposed to be Cody Roman is our main event. Instead, we're just talking about The Rock yeah. because that's what The Rock that's what the Rock is. Also, Triple H came out to King of Kings. He did. For this entrance, which was always his um, heel entrance music. Uh, the previous day, previous night at the WrestleMania kickoff, he came out to the game, mm-hmm. which is usually his face entrance music. So I don't know if he just if they just picked one and went with it. I or took if it going back. I took it to mean back to King of Kings because he's authority role. Yes. Triple H is King of Kings. Yes, that's what I took it to mean. Like he's asserting himself yeah. as, you know, you think you have power. I'm the King of Kings. You don't have shit compared to me. That is the way yeah. I took it, that. Sure. These are little things that you and I noticed, but I think they matter because yeah. they try to tell a larger story. My only other thought on this um, was, you know, I have been wondering if WWE would pull back on Triple H in case more comes out with this lawsuit and the various scandals around Vince McMahon, considering Triple H is his son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, this would indicate to me they're not. They're not concerned. They're, 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 yeah, they're, they're, they seem, I would imagine they feel pretty comfortable about Triple H's position in the company if they're going to now put him in a main event, around a main event storyline going into WrestleMania. So uh, I just, I noted that as well. Totally agree with you. There's a couple of things that popped me here as well. Seeing Levesque, Aldis, and Pierce all together, it was kind of fun to see like an authority group, like almost like yeah. an upper management stable. But not just that, <laughs> they're all baby faces too. When do you ever get that? You never get that. It's so... So interesting yeah. and unique. And because you can't have Triple H get physically involved, if there's an altercation with The Rock, Aldis and Pierce are right there. They can take that mantle. I did think Triple H also, this was the other thing. He did an expert job changing his cadence during his promo. They started what chanting him initially. And I mean, look, we say it so many times on this podcast. You got to put that shit away. If you want to do it to a heel 
in a certain situation, fine. Like, you can keep doing it. But Triple H is out there. There's nothing for you to what chant him about. You had, uh, who? it was a woman recently over on, uh, it was on SmackDown as well. It was um, Dakota Kai. She's out there yep. and she's telling a story that was really interesting, was probably the best thing she's done on the mic on the main roster. And they're what chanting her. It's like, stop trying to get yourself over. It's 20 years old at this point. Just, it's ridiculous. It, go ahead. It, it it doesn't help, by the way. I hate it. I wish it would go away. It doesn't help that uh, it's part of Pat McAfee's shtick. I know. Show, oh, God, I hate all the it. Time. And it. it happened when when he, one of the times he talked to the crowd, he did it. Logan Paul leaned into it a couple of weeks ago. I judge, I, ju- I like literally whenever I, I hear it, I judge whoever's on the mic by their ability to get through it. Agreed, but it shouldn't have to be a situation. They shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to. But like, other than that one time, Logan Paul does a good job of getting through it. Roman figured out how to get through it. Charlotte Charlotte has figured out how to get through it. It's bullshit that they have to deal with it, but it is something everybody pretty much has to deal with now. And and it always has. So you got to learn how to do your promo like that change it up don't give those pauses and open it up and triple h did a masterful job there uh, as you would expect yeah better that the fans care than they don't don't get me wrong about that but still a massive frustration the other thing i was just gonna say really quick it's funny that the triple h rock animosity has lasted so long it's gone from the ring to the c-suite you know what i mean like the fact that that's where they are now is just ridiculous uh but the story yeah there was more on smackdown triple h dapped up braun breaker backstage sharing praise for what he's accomplished so far along with excitement about his future. Breaker asked to pick his brain regarding the Raw and SmackDown contract offers. Suddenly, Paul Heyman popped in. He shook Braun's hand. Then he stepped aside and out of the picture. Heyman put over Breaker as a hell of a talent, but Levesque was having none of his bullshit. So Heyman said he'd wait until next week and speak to Paul with Roman Reigns and The Rock. So Levesque and Breaker together on screen, that was a fun sight. And I kind of wish Heyman didn't interrupt for a few minutes to actually hear the advice he would have given him. You know, that was an interesting interaction Mm -hmm. for me. But Heyman was excellent here as usual. His relationship with Breaker dates back to NXT just a couple months ago. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Braun winds up being his next project after Paul finally leaves Roman Reigns' side eventually. While I thought it was absolutely ridiculous that WWE did not capitalize more on the hot WrestleMania kickoff angle by having, if not everyone on SmackDown, at least Roman or at least Cody, we're basically getting a two for one next week. There's a double taping of SmackDown ahead of Elimination Chamber. So that means Reigns and Rock will be on the next two editions of the show leading into Chamber where they're probably not gonna be there in person. And that is obviously a positive. Yes. Um, also, it's Levesque. You've been saying Levesque for some reason. on this I, I've said it both ways. I just, I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, no. Is that it? You're correcting me on Levesque. I know it's Paul Levesque. I've said I just I've I, said I, Paul Levesque ninety five percent of the time. I promise you. <laughs> you just said it multiple times. I did say Levesque. No, yeah, there. I did. Like yeah. again, I am fired up about this coming SmackDown. Uh, for that reason, they're hyping Rock and Roman. Like it, it, it is now. Like I really hope we get them as much as possible leading up to Mania, Raw, SmackDown, whatever. Because man, it is going to do bonkers numbers. Uh, whenever you do, and if you're on the board of the company now, like. This is what we want. Absolutely. So WWE on Sunday, this is a quick note. They released that teaser trailer you mentioned for WrestleMania 40. It featured Rock, Reigns, Cody, and Rollins all standing off from one another. Obviously, we have no announcement or anything just yet. But Chris, it seemed to me like it was promoting a tag team match. And 
it's certainly possible that they could do the tag team match with a stipulation added to it. But did you get the same vibes from it that I did? Oh, completely. Yeah. I like I like I don't know how you don't do that. And also, it's what I want to see now. You know, I don't I don't want I don't really at this point want to see Rock in a one on one match because we don't know. Remember, when he came back last time, his first match was teaming with John Cena and mm-hmm. Survivor Series to fight Awesome Truth, which is freaking crazy to look back on. Ridiculous. <laughs> but um, but so maybe, you know, maybe that is the plan. Maybe it's tag team match. See how it goes. See if he can do it. Uh, don't put him, you know, protect him. Put him in a good spot. Make him look good uh, and go from there. The only question is, does Seth Rollins still have a world title shot, which we can get into when he gives his promo. But that if Seth didn't have his world heavyweight championship, I'd say 100% tag team match. Let's do it. I love it. It's just that world title thing that's kind of making you question it. Otherwise, I think it'd be a shoe and to be a tag match. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think it's going to be one anyway. I think Rollins just wrestles twice. Cody wrestles twice and Reigns wrestles twice. And it's as simple as that. But I agree. Until we get that announcement, I could see it going in a variety of different ways. It just seems like, especially with that teaser trailer, they're saying this is your night one main event, which, by the way, is super unfortunate for the women because... Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch really should be in that spot, but I'm not going to argue with Rock, Reigns, Rollins, and Rhodes all in that match that it should be anywhere else but the main event of that show. As simple as that. I agree. agree. So Cody Rhodes opened hour two of Raw, reiterating he will be challenging Roman at WrestleMania, saying he has the fans to thank for making it happen. They responded, we want Cody. And he said the only way he can repay them is by getting the job done. Then he mentioned the Cody crybabies insult from The Rock. Fans chanted Rocky sucks the proper way. Rhodes put over The Rock for his accomplishments, but also referred to him as the original people's champion, which I got to pause here. Okay. Yes. Thank you. First I was going to do this. In wrestling, the first people's champion is Diamond Dallas Page, but the yep. real first people's champion, the original of all originals, folks, is Muhammad Ali. Period. Sorry, Cody. Sorry, Dwayne. It is Muhammad Ali. That's it. Full stop. Fair enough. I wasn't going to say the Muhammad Ali part, but I had the DDP part in my notes for sure. The reason why the reason why the rock is the people's champion. He started calling himself that in WWE. They went to Louisville and Ali's family was there with Ali and he took him aside and he said, champ, I've been using this. I hope it's okay." And Ali gave him his blessing. That is why he's the people's champ. It is 100% starting from Muhammad Ali. I will refuse. And Cody's great. And there's all those jokes out there, obviously about Cody and how he fights racism and he solves racism and all that type of stuff. They're very (laughs) funny, the memes. But you cannot be that person and overlook the original people's champion. So I just had to say that. I digress. Cody played Rock's promo from the Pat McAfee show. Really fun to do that, by the way, with Pat on commentary. He was joking about the chicken nuggets up the ass line. He said everyone has been a fan of The Rock at some point. The crowd booed. But he clarified that he said nothing negative about The Rock's ancestors. Yet, he still slapped Cody and showed malevolence. Rhodes then quoted Credence, Bad Moon Rising, by the way, if you want to look it up, and promised he would hit Rock back when Seth Rollins entered. He got serenaded and Cody thanked him for getting his back. Rollins accepted the decision because Rhodes needs to finish the story for himself, his dad, Rollins, and the fans. Seth also said, if Cody fails, the landscape on the other side of WrestleMania will be dark 
because it will only lead to Roman getting even more power and leverage, showing up less, defending the title less, the glass ceiling getting thicker, the brass rings getting higher. He said it's the last chance anyone in WWE will get to take the title and give it back to the people. And right there, I tweeted this, Chris. It sounded like he was talking about democracy as a whole, not just professional yeah. wrestling, right? Yeah, it did. It did. But it was in a yeah. good way. Like he, he was making it seem like the fate of the company's existence rested on Cody beating Roman. But Rollins paused, asking if Rhodes had a better plan to prevent getting screwed over like last year, especially now that Rock is wielding power and getting involved. Rocky sucks chance again. As such, Seth said, Cody does not have to fight Roman alone because he also wants to take everything from Reigns and he won't let him get away with it again. And then he said this. The man Roman Reigns is, is partly my fault. Nearly 12 years ago, we came down those stairs in tactical vests. We were brothers forged from the same fire. I taught him everything I know. I am partly responsible for the man that he is, but I could have never imagined the monster that he has become. And now, that monster's got two heads because he is standing side by side with the only person on this planet who is as entitled and selfish as he is. But when it comes to fighting the bloodline, when it comes to fighting the rock, when it comes to fighting Roman Reigns, there is only one man on earth who is uniquely suited to be your shield. What a freaking line. And holy shit, Chris, this was a 10 out of 10 promo from Seth Rollins. No notes. Simply masterful. Among the best in his entire career. Something that should be reviewed and taught in promo classes in the WWE Performance Center. The storytelling, the emotion, the context, the continuity, the ability to add urgency and paint the match as about more than the title, but the literal fate of WWE. The way he was able to put each pairing on separate sides despite their clear differences. The way he made Reigns and Rock seem like this insurmountable force that they need to overcome. And then wrapping it up all the way back around to put himself over in the finish. So it wasn't all about them. It was about him as well. That's perfection achieved. A tremendous way to reset the perception of Rollins coming out of a really tough last couple of weeks, as we discussed, especially given the way Reigns shit-talked him. I focused on Seth here, but Cody was extremely strong in his part as well. Going right after The Rock, not standing down from his comments, nor the slap itself. Really, his only flaw was forgetting about Ali, but he did quote Credence, so he almost atoned for it. Actually, I think I saw someone say that Rollins made a Moana reference as part of this. I hadn't yes. seen that movie, so I couldn't tell you. But Really? Yeah, but the way it set I them up. Gonna, I was going to ask about this. Yeah, you, you do that after the fact. The way it set them up was almost with like, Cody as Superman and Rollins as Batman against the top villains or maybe Captain America and Iron Man if you prefer Marvel. Same concept of American white meat babyface and tactical genius superhero 
joining forces. This was the best WWE TV segment of the year so far. And if this is what we're getting more than 50 days out from WrestleMania, Chris, this might wind up being an all-time build for that show and something we legitimately remember forever. I know that might sound hyperbolic, but look at what we've already gotten just across the last five days between WrestleMania kickoff, SmackDown, and this Raw segment on Monday night. You have So you have not seen Moana? No. Highly recommend it. It's great. It's, it's, it might I be think I have to watch it. There were two references on Raw alone, so I probably need to two, watch yes. it this week. Rollins said, um, what can I say except you're welcome, which is the big chorus line from The Rock in his song, uh, which is really good. And yes, uh, there's another line later from Becky. But two things jumped out at me with this. One, when Cody says, hey, we've all been fans of The Rock. I'm a fan of The Rock. That got booze. Mm-hmm. Like, that was Cody Rhodes's like olive branch to like, if you want to cheer The Rock, you can cheer The Rock. And they were like, no, we are not cheering The Rock, which I think is a good sign again. Absolutely. How good this, which is a sign of how good this heel rock is already and is going to be. People are ready to boo him and they're going to boo him like crazy on Friday. I think that was a really good sign because they, they tested it. Hey, you, you can cheer for The Rock. No, we are not doing that. So I love that. And the other part is, what if I said a million times on this podcast that Seth Rollins, when you get him out of the goofy dresses and the singing and the dancing, and he just gets down to brass tacks, he's incredible. Mm-hmm. He's so good at this. Seth, as a real person, is the most one of the most interesting characters on the roster. This is why I hated all the clothes and everything he's been doing because it's like there's a story for this guy to tell and he's not telling a story this was a story this entire promo from seth was a story and this is the kind of thing where if you watch wrestling and watch it for a very long time this is when you get rewarded because it's acknowledging you remember when i was in the shield you remember when i turned on roman reigns that was my fault i'm acknowledging our past history you remember that i remember that and you just get connected to him when he does that. There were so many good lines in this, like three or four just absolute banger lines. Um, I know this is good. This is like the third or fourth time of the year already. We've said, hey, maybe that was promo of the year quality. I I think it's just a testament to the really good stuff we're getting out of mostly this Mm storyline and we'll continue to get for the next two months. There's so much to do here. It's great. I love it. The only thing, again, is I think Seth having the title makes him look weak in this position. Yes, him coming to Cody's aid Mm. is fantastic. It's a great story. They laid it out. But after being told he's the loser's bracket title, number two, all this stuff, he's just coming in behind Cody, you know, instead of making that title something else. I know we have the Elimination Chamber match and there's stuff going on with it. But if I just keep thinking if Seth didn't have the title right now, it this would just be that little bit better that that's missing. Yeah, I mean, I think him having the title again it gives him opportunities to be on WrestleMania twice, which kind of reduces the Maybe. harm of it. I guess is the best way to put it. I Do mean, we, there's gonna be let me put it this way: there's gonna be three people if we get the tag team match on night one. Okay, yeah, there's gonna be three people who wrestle twice on WrestleMania 40, and those three people are Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, and Seth. Rollins. And if you extrapolate that to 40 years of WrestleMania, how many people have actually wrestled twice 
on the same overall WrestleMania card. Spoiler alert, it's like a grand total of five. And that would be yeah. three of them right there. You know what I mean? So Yeah, Dan, Dan O'Brien's the only one that, one that comes to mind immediately. Dan O'Brien, um, Bret Hart did, uh, yep. you know, against Yokozuna. And there, there's probably a couple others, but off the top of my yeah, head, it's five. Not many. Including yeah. those three, it's five. So, like, you're a rarefied air right now. So, okay, does the World Heavyweight Championship look as strong as the WWE Universal Championship? No, it doesn't, but it didn't anyway. Okay, and losing CM Punk already meant that match was going to take a step back. I yes. love Drew McIntyre. I love Sami Zayn. I hope they're both involved, at least one, probably both. But it's already going to be secondary in storyline. So, okay, him as champion, he's done a great job. He's built that title up extremely well. Now we're ending WrestleMania. Has it been diminished a little bit? Yes, it has. Is that the end of the world? No, especially no. because... Rollins is being cast in this light as the Batman to Cody Superman, as the Iron Man to his Captain yeah. America. And if you're making him a superhero at that level, then it doesn't matter that the other one's better. Agree. Do you think there's any chance Seth gets cashed in on before WrestleMania? No. It's hard to see it. It doesn't really Not by Damian Priest. If McIntyre yeah. had the briefcase... Or if another heel of that level had the briefcase, then I would say yes. Uh, Priest is a is now an upper mid Carter. He's not there. It's frustrating, but it's true. It's tough. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So one last thing before, before we'll move on to the rest of the show. This just feels to me, Chris, like they might do an Avengers Endgame final battle scene at WrestleMania. And we actually talked about it last year, and they kind of did it last year when they had Sam, mm -hmm. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens run out. But like, you're going to have Roman Reigns. The Rock's probably going to be there ringside with him. We've talked, I think, and maybe we didn't, about Cody possibly having John Cena there ringside with him. But let's make believe he doesn't. Like, we get Jimmy and Solo and The Rock. Maybe Jacob Fatu signs with uh, WWE. He's out there as well. Let's just make believe. And suddenly it's Seth and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and... Randy Orton, maybe Stone Cold Steve Austin, the glass shatters. He comes down, stuns the rock ringside. Or Cena. Oh, God. Now you're now you're getting me going. I know. Here. I know. Or Cena <laughs> clears the ring. And whatever happens, the whole area clears out, and it's Reigns and Rhodes. Like it's Thanos and Iron Man, just as an example, right? Um, could that be an all-time WrestleMania moment? And if that does happen... Does that mean that this entire time, Chris, WrestleMania 39 was just Infinity War? Yeah, I, I mean, that's what we've felt like ever since Cody didn't win. Um, but I, again, I'm someone who loves crazy run-ins in big matches like we got last year, like we get sometimes. I love when that happens. It just ups the ante and create, creates a sense of chaos. You bring out a handful of people. Yeah, we're going to get... You're going to have to have Solo trying to get Cody again and somebody stops it from happening. Maybe it's just Seth. Maybe it's a lot more people. Um, but I think we're definitely going to get that. And I can't wait for that moment because it's going to feel like craziness, madness going on. Those are the moments you live for in, in wrestling. And if that happens, if we get as far down as you said and Stone Cold stuns the rock or something Could like you that, imagine then you're that? talking maybe then you're talking maybe greatest moment in WrestleMania history. <laughs> imagine <laughs> this. Imagine point. this. We get full end game situation. Everyone's fighting. You got Kevin Owens and Sammy and Jimmy and 
Jacob and whoever. It's going crazy. Everyone gets out. And what's what you're left with is Reigns, Rock, and Cody and the referees down. And the glass shatters. And Austin comes down, stands next to Cody or whatever the case, stuns the Rock, gets him out. Cody hits the crossroads. Referee comes to one, two, three. You're not talking about a five-star match here, but you want to talk about five-star entertainment? I don't know that the show could end any better than that. That that's maybe the greatest moment in WrestleMania history. So we've now set the expectations. Way too <laughs> There's your expectation. Anything else, you're gonna fall below, and you're not gonna get an A plus. So there you go. Uh, but it's look, I just I came up with it, or not? I'm not saying I came up with it like no one else did, but it's something that obviously I'm sure people are talking about and would be really interesting. But I just can't, and you know, I'm not like a huge comic book person. Like my knowledge of this is purely movie based. But I, I was just watching and I was thinking about it. And I'm like. Man, like it really does seem like they're going in that direction. And it really all stemmed from Rollins and Rhodes standing next to each other and taking those roles. Again, like the white meat baby face who waves the flag and the tactical genius. And you put them together, that should be an unstoppable force. You know what I mean? We've seen it so many mm-hmm. times. Yeah. All right, folks, that was the main event. We have plenty still to discuss from WWE this week across SmackDown and Raw. So let's get right to it and cover the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. So Bailey opened hour two of SmackDown getting chance. She admitted that she struggled with her decision and was worried how fans would respond, so they cheered more. Bailey said the fans know how much she cares about this, so they chanted, you deserve it. She spoke about always putting damage control ahead of herself, only for them to take, take, take from her. Bailey said she learned her lesson and from other friends who have turned on her in the past. What it meant when they were snickering behind her back, Dakota Kai suddenly came down asking why Bailey has been ghosting her, saying she was absent trying to get medically cleared last week. Bailey didn't buy it, saying Dakota clearly knew what was happening. Dakota said she was put in a tough spot, clearly insinuating that she knew the entire time, but said she always believed in damage control, and so did EO Sky until Asuka and Kyrie Sane got in EO's ear. Dakota said she didn't know how to tell Bailey, plus her plan was working and everything could potentially blow over, and that's what she hoped. Bailey gave Dakota a chance to pick sides, but the trio entered. Bailey got surrounded shield style. Kai grabbed a chair. She looked like she was going to swing on Bailey. Instead, she swatted the other three women off the ropes, despite not actually hitting them. And Bailey seemed to kind of accept her help, but she still remained hesitant. I'm glad that Bailey got like a more prominent babyface moment in this mid-show main event spot because the big angle from last week completely overshadowed her. And she didn't have to deal with Rocker Reigns this week. The crowd is fully back on her side, which was great to see after more than four years as a heel. This has been a long time coming. And by the time we get to WrestleMania, fans are going to be electric for her. I truly hope she gets her moment. Dakota was pretty solid here too. But again, I mentioned it earlier, those dumbass what chants, they ruined the enjoyment of a damn strong promo from her. But she did play her role perfectly. This was good. It was definitely good. Um kind of played out the way you, you would expect, um, but it was a nice little dance they did there. My only question is, do you think Dakota later turns on Bailey throughout all this, or is or will she have Dakota Kai by her side the whole time? So that's a good question. So we reported on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over on Friday before the show that Dakota would align with Bailey, but obviously, as you just said, she could turn at any time and really 
stack the odds ahead of WrestleMania. Dakota's spot right now, from my understanding, is what they had for Sasha Banks if she had decided to return to WWE. But anyone who watched NXT knows that Dakota has a history of turning heel. She did it to Tegan Knox. She did it to Raquel Rodriguez. So I'm not going to be surprised if that happens. But I do wonder, like, if she turns on her and it's four on one, then who gets Bailey's back? Is it like Tegan and Raquel and like these random assortment, like Shotzi and whoever, this random assortment of women? Because you can't have her be up against them three on one or four on one the entire road to WrestleMania. Charlotte's out. Becky's on another show. She doesn't really have friends. So I kind of feel like Dakota's going to stay with her, even though history has told us that's not the case. Yeah, I don't know. Dakota's kind of had, you know, it's been tough for Dakota. She's not, you know, she's been hurt for a very long time while everybody else is wrestling. And there just kind of hasn't been a natural story with her yet. And if the story here is the two English speakers and the... (laughs) The, three Japanese, three Japanese people. Yeah, yeah uh, maybe maybe that's the way to go. Look, if it's, you know, is one on four too much for Bailey to overcome? You know, maybe she maybe we just keep Dakota by her side. But um, and, and you keep some of damage control because Bailey brought her in. You know, there, it makes sense to keep them together. Mm-hmm. But it is something we're just going to keep thinking about because what's more baby face than being three on than being one on three? Being one on four. Absolutely. So. So we'll see. That is true. Let's move to the women's elimination chamber. We had Bianca Belair against Michin as a qualifying match. The match was apparently dominated by Mia Yim, but most of it happened during commercial. Belair countered a knees up counter to her own handspring moonsault. She had a one-armed spine buster. Michin came back with a superplex, but Belair countered eat defeat into a kiss of death that was countered into eat defeat with Bianca flying out of the ring. Back inside, Belair countered his Styles Clash attempt and hit KOD for the win in about seven minutes. It was nice that Michin was allowed to look stronger in the match, including hitting her finisher on Bianca. But if you're going to do a seven-minute women's match with a commercial, it better be picture-in-picture. If not, you got to give them more time on the show itself. Moderate good because the intention was there and the work was really solid. Yeah, no, good. I, this was the best Meachins looked in a while. Mm-hmm. I, I really thought. I thought Bianca sold her ass off for her. Uh, the superplex uh, looked a little rough at first. I wasn't sure if they fully rotated, and Bianca sold it. It had me for a minute. So, like, this this worked. I liked it. It, it was intense. Like you said, just would have loved to have more of it on the screen. Yeah. But um, this was good. The qualifying matches next week on SmackDown, just so everyone knows, are Tiffany Stratton against Shotzi and Naomi against Zelina Vega. Both good matchups. Unfortunate to me that Shotzi is unlikely to be in the chamber because she's the daredevil, like the component that they need for that match to probably go to another level. But you got to assume it's going to be Stratton and Naomi coming out of this. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, I I cannot believe how little we've seen of Naomi since Royal Rumble. Yeah, we talked we about said it. it last week. We said it last week. It's again here. I'm glad she's in the qualifier match. But man, like all the all the excitement and energy of her coming back is dissipate it. So yeah. I, I hope they can get that back. I hope she gets a promo either before or even better after she qualifies, like talks about coming back and how excited she is. Yeah, to be there. Like, where is that? Where is that promo? I don't know? get like, it. It's so freaking weird. So hopefully that comes on Friday. Um, and, and and I'll just say I'll just say because it's along these lines of what we're talking about. No Jade Cargill either, other than a brief well, backstage segment a week ago. Uh, we, we got her in a Super Bowl commercial uh, <laughs> briefly with Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, but um just nothing there either. I'm just very surprised that both Naomi and Jade have not gotten anything 
off those really hot Royal Rumble moments. And their returns or return and debut were much hotter than like Andrade, but he did get something Monday night and we'll talk about him later. But still, like Andrade, his talent is wrestling. Put him in the ring. Just give him a match. It doesn't matter who it's against. Let him get over that way, right? Uh, But Naomi, the crowd wants to cheer for her and support her. And she's such a good, she actually is a very good promo. And she cuts a good babyface promo. So why is she not out there? I'm so happy to be back. It's so great to be here. And then you have, who's she fighting? Zelina Vega. Zelina comes up, supports her, and then says, hey, Naomi, it's great. But guess what? I'm going to beat you. I'm going to make sure you don't get that spot in Elimination Chamber. Like, create a little bit of animosity. It's not that difficult. And you're right. It's just immensely frustrating that she came back got a huge pop, and then hasn't been on really TV since. She was backstage for a a brief moment, but not in front of the fans. That's a huge mistake. Uh, Liv Morgan fought Zoe Stark in the other Women's Elimination Chamber qualifier this week. Both ladies got pre-match promos with Liv announcing the start of her revenge tour. Morgan ran the offense early, but ate a Death Valley driver on the apron. Stark countered an Oblivion attempt with a super kick. Liv avoided a corkscrew, hitting her codebreaker and Oblivion for the win. The fans popped huge after the 1-2-3, but they were silent throughout the entire match. I'm not sure why, because the wrestling was solid, and it was better than some of the men's matches on Raw. Liv obviously needed to be in the field. Zoe helped her shake off some of that ring rust. It was also really nice to see that Liv hasn't taken a step back after showing so much improvement last year. She was on pace for a breakout performer type of role before she got hurt. This was definitely good. Yep, not a ton to say other than Liv got a good reaction and it's setting her back up. And I, I liked the promo with her saying, you know, like, hey, I was I was doing great. And then Rhea did this to me. Remind us that she won money in the make. Remind us she was the champion. You know, make her feel like a big deal. That's what they did. Match was fine. Good. Yeah, like this was, you know, I don't grade every match. I only do it if it's exceptional and you like should watch it. But this was like a 3.5 star match. Like it was one of the, I think it was the second best, maybe third best match on a six match show. And it just got crickets and it was really unfortunate. Uh, there is going to be a last chance qualifier battle royal for next week, it's going to be the losers of all the qualifying matches across Raw and SmackDown, and apparently other superstars who didn't get a chance as well. Chelsea Green threw a fit backstage wanting to be in the match. Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell wanted in as well. Indy so she could wrestle in her home country. Chelsea talked shit about Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark at one point, so they came in and threatened her. Now, presumably, this is going to be a loaded up battle royal when all is said and done. Indy, you should think, is the favorite coming in just because Australia but you mentioned Jade Cargill, Chris. This feels like a spot to me where Jade debuts on TV and gets into the match because what did we see from her last? She dominated the Royal Rumble. She eliminated Nia Jax. So if you put her in another battle royal, stands to reason she would be successful in that type of match. This is good booking. I'm glad they're doing it. And it's nice that they did some storytelling leading into it rather than just doing the match itself next week. Yes, I did appreciate the segment. It did make me wonder, like, other than Rhea Ripley, none of the other Australians are on the card, right? I'm going to talk about Reed. that later. Yeah. 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 So it made you wonder like, oh, should Indy Hartwell be on that? And then I thought, man, when was the last time Indy Hartwell talked on WWE television? You know, <laughs> it, it, it had been a while. So uh, that would be an interesting spot and it would make sense for sure. It feels like if you were going to put her in this match, you would have built her up over the last few weeks and like yeah. had her get a couple singles wins, even over low carters just for her profile so people know who she is if you're going to put her in a match that significant on that the show. way the way you do it with, the way they do it with Natalia every time we're going right. to Canada you give her a couple weeks beforehand exactly 
Uh, Becky Lynch opened hour three of Raw, running through her career successes, noting that WWE is how she met her husband. And of course, that led to the birth of her daughter. But she said that's also come with missing loved ones' birthdays, missing her father's funeral, being away from Rue, her daughter at times, and even explaining why her daddy wants to fight Maui from Moana. Becky said she's obsessed with getting the title back since she hasn't held it in two years, even if that means taking down one of the most dominant champions the division has ever seen. Lynch said the fans don't think anyone can beat Rhea Ripley, but she's not anyone, and Ripley has never fought anybody like her. Becky then grabbed the lemonade, toasting Rhea's last few weeks as champion, and adding bottoms up, referring back to the WrestleMania kickoff comment. Nia Jax entered, trying to act nice with some crocodile tears. She got you suck chance. Nia said she hopes that kids look up to her the same way they do Becky. She's sure that Lynch will win the chamber match because nothing will stop her, just like nothing will stop Jax from beating Ripley on the same show. That brought out Ripley with a form tackle, only for Nia to squash both of them in the corner with lemonade splashing everywhere. Becky and Rhea each knocked Nia out of the ring and they stood off again in between. Now, I tweeted this, but I'm not sure a couple or like a husband and wife have ever had a pair of better promos on the same wrestling show. This wasn't Becky's best, but the storytelling, the way she roused the crowd, it was exceptional. It does feel to me like they're telegraphing Becky winning the chamber a little bit too much. It's been like three face-to-faces between them in two weeks. It's supposed to be an anyone-can-win match. That is a huge problem for me. You want to do it at the WrestleMania kickoff? Fine. Don't do it on the Raw beforehand, or at least don't do it on both the Raw beforehand and the Raw after. But Becky, Nia, and Rhea, they all did great here. It was good. And the Women's World Championship itself finally feels like a big deal. It does. My my only criticism, everything was great. Like you said, the Maui line got a chuckle out of me. It all worked. My only criticism was watching this was like, wait a minute. We're like three steps away from this happening. Not <laughs> right. only does Becky have to win the chamber to get there, Rhea's got to beat Nia, which hasn't happened yet. Right. And, and I kept thinking, I was like, man, there, Nia Jax gets that win over, uh, over Becky on day one and then has just been completely brushed to the side. Then she comes out here i was like oh good like yeah she should be standing up for herself and reminding everybody give us a reason to no naya naya beat the shit out of ripley last week right but but i'm saying in this promo like oh in this segment yeah okay yeah in this segment i was like where is naya we're we're just especially after what happened on thursday i'm like we're going back to back becky rea segments with barely any mention of naya so i was glad she showed up as she should Uh, it's just very weird for her to get that win over becky on day one and then just kind of do not a ton sense like it, mm-hmm. she should have been saying i deserve a title shot i'm gonna win she beats up Rhea. i'm gonna beat you i'm gonna beat you at least give us some doubt but they have telegraphed becky Rhea so freaking hard yeah. almost to the point where i wonder if it wouldn't happen but 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 i think it does um it's just we're still several steps away from doing that i mean but it's certainly was, possible they like terrific. it's possible they go with Liv morgan they do have a legitimate story that they can tell and they save Becky for SummerSlam. Like, I don't think they're going to do that. It would be stupid, but I guess it's possible. I mean, that's the story. Or, or, or Jay, that's the other story or, or they're Jade. telling. Not Jade. Yeah. No, it wouldn't be Jade, but they're because they're telling the revenge tour story for Liv. So that would make sense. Yeah. If like she surprises Becky wins, Liv could even be a heel in the match because how much people want to cheer for mommy. I mean, there's other ways they can go, but in, in general, it's just too telegraphed. It's, it's a little bit too much. They already told us, don't forget, they had the face-to-face in October. The same show of uh, Reigns and, mm-hmm. and um, not the same show, the same week. 
as Reigns and Rhodes went face to face. We got Becky and uh, Rhea going face to face. So we've all known this is coming. You don't need to force feed it down our throats. It's just a little bit too much. Now, continuing that SmackDown opening segment discussion with Triple H, we paused it in the main event. We're continuing it here. Aldis and Pierce in that segment announced that Seth Rollins, WrestleMania challenger for the World Heavyweight Championship, will be determined inside Elimination Chamber after qualifying matches involving Raw and SmackDown wrestlers. The idea was to show like a united front behind Levesque in the face of outside opposition. And the matches were not only across both shows, they're also brand versus brand as well. At least some of them are. I'm not going to go through every participant, Chris. But I thought it was odd that Logan Paul, Ivar, and Dominic Mysterio were included while, and I'm just throwing names out there, Andrade, Finn Balor, Jey Uso, Shinsuke Nakamura, Santos Escobar, Kofi Kingston, and others were not involved. Logan's a champion. Ivar has only beaten Chad Gable and Dominic has done absolutely nothing to deserve this spot. Having them involved instead of bigger, better names, it just did not make sense to me. It's possible that this was supposed to be an elimination chamber match for the United States Championship or the number one contendership for that title. They had to shift. And therefore, yeah. they just changed a couple of the participants rather than all of them. That that is what I think happened. Yeah, because uh, we had talked about. Because remember, a couple weeks ago, they were like, "We're we're going to announce Logan Paul's next thing," and it, it made sense for it to be Elimination Chamber. And now he's just in it. So yeah, I, well, that is my be. guess as to yeah. what happened. And 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 look, you, you anytime they just name wrestlers to a tournament or a chamber, or whatever, you can always kind of pick and choose at it. I'm I'm mostly fine with it because I think clearly we're going to get multiple stories coming out of it mm -hmm. uh, involving people like Logan Paul and LA Knight and whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I was fine with it, but it's, it's a fair point to gripe with. Yeah. I just thought it was worth mentioning. Let's get to those men's elimination chamber qualifiers. First was Drew McIntyre against AJ Styles. McIntyre entered first and cut a promo about the huge sales numbers for the graveyard shirt, calling himself DM hunk and promising Levesque that he would be the champion and what's best for business. LA Knight came out for commentary and he asked if freaking was actually Rollins' middle name. Uh, Styles took McIntyre out of the corner with a Liger bomb, but Drew hit a future shock DDT and sold the knee. Styles dodged Claymore and locked in a calf crusher. McIntyre caught and knocked Styles off the ropes during a phenomenal forearm attempt before throwing him over the commentary table. LA Knight dumped water on AJ and Drew pushed them into each other. Knight distracted during a small package and McIntyre caught Styles blind with Claymore for the win. You're good for this exact finish like 10 times a year in WWE. It's so formulaic and it's so boring. McIntyre needs impactful wins on his road to being rebuilt as a challenger. And while I had no problem with Knight interfering in general, the way in which it was booked was a total eye roll for me. And you just know, or I thought at the time, that Styles is going to interfere in Knight's match and they're going to wind up fighting in a singles match at Chamber or on SmackDown. Because that, to me, was going to make the most sense there. We'll talk about what actually happened. The work was fine. It gets a light good. But with those two in the ring, I actually thought it under-delivered. The highlight was McIntyre on the mic. He's gold right now. He's without question operating at the top of his game, but I thought we'd get more from the match. And again, the finish was trite. Yep. I had good match, predictable finish, just kind of okay on it. Um, you would have liked more from these two. I, I thought the LA Knight water spot was pretty funny. Like he didn't just pour it on him. He just kind of like placed the water bottle mm -hmm. down. So it, so it got on him. Um, and selfishly was concerned 
that it might be AJ Styles, LA Knight at WrestleMania when I want it to be LA Knight, Logan Paul at WrestleMania, but I can't let that impact my feeling on the segment. Right. I thought it was fine. My largest takeaway was if you bought that Drew McIntyre shirt, which is very funny, Mm -hmm. but if you bought it and it really is doing the sales it is apparently doing, you are crazy. (laughs) Really? I think it's a good shirt. It's a funny shirt, but who's wearing that out in public? You know, like people who like Drew McIntyre. We we've had we've had our conversations about wrestling shirts and how they look and whatnot. This is it was funny, but it was also like, you know, wrestling funny. There are so many worse shirts than that. I mean, that that, is not that doesn't even come on my radar of bad wrestling shirts to, to, to own. And I think it's funny. I mean, I'm not saying I would buy it. I wouldn't. But. I, you know, I should note, I actually did just buy two WWE shirts. Uh, I haven't done this in a long time. So just a heads up for everyone. This is totally off topic, but it's worth mentioning, Chris. Yeah. So first of all, Fanatics runs everything with WWE, which is awful. Um, but yeah. at the same time, it does allow us to get affiliate revenue. So if anyone wants to buy something from WWE shop, the link is in our is within the link in our Twitter profile at Getting Overcast. Click that link, takes you to the shop. We'll get 10%. We'd appreciate it. But so I was at Royal Rumble. And I was at the store. The store was immensely weird. I don't even know if I got a chance to talk about this on the show, but there was so much CM Punk stuff and basically nothing for Roman Reigns. It was ridiculously odd. Very little for Seth Rollins. Not much for Becky Lynch. Like, I don't understand how and why they stocked the store the way it did. But regardless, there was a shirt I wanted to get. It was an all red Royal Rumble shirt that had logos from every incarnation of the Royal Rumble. And the shirt was $45 for like a cotton Mm. poly blend t-shirt. And I'm like, there is no way I'm spending that money. It just, it doesn't make sense. I know there's inflation and all this stuff's happening. I'm not spending $45 for a shitty t-shirt made by Fanatics. So I went to the WWE shop website. They had the same shirt on sale that day for $24. Mm -hmm. So my point is, if you're going to go to a WWE show, if you see a shirt that you like, at least check the website first. Now, after shipping and handling, they actually charge a handling fee, which is ridiculous. I know I'm going on a mini rant here. Um, But after all that, it might be close to the same cost and maybe you should just buy it at the arena or the stadium that you're at. I get it. But chances are it's going to be cheaper. I got the Royal Rumble shirt I wanted. I got the Sami Zayn honorary Oos shirt, okay? (laughs) Total cost delivered to my door, $32. I'll repeat the Royal Rumble shirt on its own was 45. So yeah, I just I, thought I, that the, I should say that. You you texted me about this at the time, about it, it was worth it. I did the same thing at SummerSlam. Uh, I just got to my seat. I, I looked at the store, saw the prices, went to my seat, pulled up the WWE shop on my phone. Uh, because it was SummerSlam, they had a deal and I got a shirt for like literally half the price as I would have in the stadium. So if you go, unless it's one of those very rare, like only in the stadium type of shirts, which and some of those do exist and I, I fully support going and buying them. If it's a one off and you can't get it anywhere else, then get it. You know what I mean? But, but like my like just regular SummerSlam Detroit shirt, I just got that on the store. It was much cheaper. Yeah. I did get a Royal Rumble hat from the store, which they didn't have on the website. I was like, well, if they don't have it, it was only $25 anyway. But if, I, if they don't have it and I want it, I'm going to get it. And you should always operate that way, especially if you have disposable income. If you see something and you're like, I really want this and I'm going to think about it if I don't, if I walk out of here without getting it, then just get it. But at least check the WWE shop if you're in that type of situation. Because literally, I got 
two shirts for the price of two thirds of the shirt I was going to buy. And yeah. now and, I have the honorary use shirt, which I never would have bought normally, but now I have it. And, and like every Monday, every Monday, there's like a 25% off the site. Sale. Yes. So like it, you, ne- you almost never need to buy something full price off the site. Totally. Just wait for a deal. Totally. All right. That was a huge digression from what we're normally talking about. I'll also say about this segment, circling back to McIntyre and Styles, Wade Barrett said during the match that Styles is out of the OC. It was odd hearing that because they kept alluding to a breakup, but they never actually broke up on screen, which should have been an angle. Also, Chris, I think it's fair to say the Good Brothers were Triple H's worst signing. Like they have done literally nothing since coming back. Which is too bad because I think they're great. I, they were one of the most fun things on being the elite back in the day. It just feels like it's a group that they just kind of don't have enough room for. And that's unfortunate because they're really talented guys. They just they haven't done anything. Yeah, I agree. Let's go to the other qualifier on the show. Sammy Zayn against Randy Orton. Zayn backstage said it's an emotional time of year in WWE. He needs to focus on the monumental task of overcoming a legend like Orton. He acknowledged it wasn't an easy path but it was at least one he had a chance to take. Orton said being injured for WrestleMania last year taught him patience, and he doesn't mind waiting for Reigns as long as he's able to dish it out elsewhere in the meantime. Both guys are super over, so it was kind of strange to hear the crowd was primarily for Orton. Zayn did a moonsault off the barricade, but only clipped Randy. Then Sammy did Orton's own drop onto the announce table, hit a tornado DDT. Randy hit a superplex, snap power slam, the announce table spot, and a draping DDT. Zayn countered two RKOs and hit a blue thunderbomb for a false finish. Sammy then leapfrogged Randy, but Orton caught him on the landing with an RKO for the win. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do. Flip out, man. Now, you might expect me to say the wrong person won this match, but it was actually booked perfectly. Zayn went toe-to-toe with a legend, Yet losing here keeps him out of the chamber, which clears the path likely for McIntyre to win it. You don't call someone an underdog one week and then four days later have them beat Randy Orton. It's not how you do an angle. He needs to fail more before he eventually succeeds. This makes Sammy an even greater underdog. And by the way, the match was really good as well. Yeah, no, good match. It made sense. It it was, you know, it is interesting at the same time to be like Sami Zayn's an underdog all right all right I'm gonna root for him he immediately loses <laughs> you know and it, it is um that takes a second you're gonna have to stick with him to keep people being into him since he just lost I think they will it's pretty clear that they oh will. yeah but um yeah it, 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 he is he he might have the most interesting path right now I don't know exactly what they're going to do or how they're going to do it, but they're clearly going to do something. And that is interesting as a viewer. Bobby Lashley, the Street Profits and BFAB all commiserated backstage saying they have receipts for Final Testament, but bigger business starts Monday with Lashley's chance to qualify for the chamber. I honestly laughed, Chris, seeing all of their names pop up on the screen together because it used to be, you know, Bobby Lashley, Street Profits. Now it's Bobby Lashley, Street Profits, BFAB. I don't know. Maybe they could figure out a way to shorten that by giving them a name or something like that. Another week, another opportunity on SmackDown with no development for them whatsoever. And now the Testament angle is on the back burner for at least one more week, if not longer, because Lashley's getting this match. This was a default bad for me. It's a bad. What are we doing? Like, I just, I don't get it at all. It's the same thing we say every week. There's nothing new to say. What are we doing? It's so frustrating. 
Over on Raw, we got Lashley against Bronson Reed. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. The Lashley crew got an updated entrance, but still no name. I will say they looked fly as hell, though. Montez Ford, Angela Dawkins, and B-Fab. Then came the match. This is Monday Night Meat. Reed hit a nice Death Valley driver. Lashley did like a slam version of the Almighty Spinebuster. Reed answered with a Uranagi and Senton, but Lashley stopped Tsunami with a toss off the ropes and hit a spear for the win. Real solid bell to bell. It just felt like both guys could have done better. Lashley winning was actually a surprise. I figured Karrion Cross would interfere and then Bronson would get on the card in his home country. I was super confused about this. So I did a little research and apparently some people are saying his wife is pregnant and due to deliver soon. So it might be a situation where it's just awful timing for him with WWE going back to Australia, but he would have been a far more exciting entrant than Lashley in this match. I love Lashley. The fans love Lashley. There is something to be said. Elimination Chamber's lacking star power and Lashley is a star, but if you want him on the show, fine. Put him in the carrying cross match on that show. Let Bronson Reed in here as long as there's not a familial issue. The segment was good overall, giving it four out of five slabs of beef. <laughs> Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> That's what I want. But I definitely thought they could have done better. Yeah. Uh, was you know We've gotten like a lot of meaty moments the last month or two. Um, this was good. Lashley's over. You know He's former world champion, a guy you want in this match. If it can't be Bronson Reed for the reasons you said, all right, that works. All right. LA Knight against Ivar was the other qualifier on Raw. Michael Cole went nuts about the horns again for Valhalla. It's borderline concerning at this point. Like, I, I don't get what he's doing or why he's doing it. It's not funny. It doesn't make sense. No one cares. Like, just move I, on from it. I just wish he'd be a little more like subtle about it. It just distracts from everything. Yeah, you know, it, it does. It, it, it immediately makes them feel like a joke. And he should be when, talking about Ivar being this dominant guy who's run roughshod. The doom salt is kicking people's ass. And so he's talking about her horns. They, they did. I mean, they did say Ivar has been on a, a big okay. run, which is true and everything. But the, the, the horns being the first thing he says upon their entrance just really takes away from it. And also, if this is going to be such a big deal, then why isn't she wearing them? Yeah, that too. <laughs> just wear them. That's how you stop it. That's how you fix the entire thing. So anyway, Bizarre. I, I digress. Uh, Knight got crushed with a crossbody into the barricade, but later came back with a huge superplex. Ivar answered with a double underhook Liger bomb, but missed a doom salt after a Valhalla distraction. Knight caught him afterward with a BFT for the win. This match over-delivered, as far as I was concerned. I'm trying to remember otherwise, but it might have been Knight's best or second best match on the main roster. It was another surprising move, though. I figured with Reed out and Knight clearly costing Styles on SmackDown. Well, of course, Styles is going to cost Knight here. Ivar gets to go in the match as a big man doing a bunch of crazy moves. Styles and Knight in a singles match at Elimination Chamber. I would have preferred that separate because Knight ain't winning this. But despite that, this individual segment was good. Definite good. Really liked it. Banger of a match, like you said. A really good BFT, too, at the mm-hmm. end. Yeah, it was. Are, those are very hit or miss, but that one totally worked. Only thing missing was um, every time LA Knight's out there, he should have a mic in his hand yeah. and say something. And I was surprised we didn't get a promo out of it. Totally agree. Dominic backstage boasted about Judgment Day expressing confidence in qualifying. 
Uh, Kevin Owens stepped up informing him that he was the opponent, promising to give him the beating of a lifetime, which he will dedicate to Rey Mysterio. R-Truth then popped up telling KO he's supposed to be on Raw with like a tongue-in-cheek moment, because obviously he's supposed to be there as well. And fans seeing him on screen loudly chanted, we want truth. One of the loudest chants of the entire night. It was kind of crazy. Not him getting a chant, but one that loud. He's so damn over. This was short, sweet, simple, fun. I could see Truth costing Dom or Logan Paul costing KO here. Not sure which way it's going to go. And I like that it's open-ended. This was good. Yep, it was good. And like I said, this Elimination Chamber is clearly setting up multiple stories and Mm -hmm. matches to come out of it, which is good, which is what you want going into Mania after that. Um, So it was good. So Logan Paul backstage argued with Aldis. And normally I would just recap it for you, but it's only a minute. So let me play it. Nick, I said get me a challenger for my United States title. You put me in a qualifying match? Qualifying matches are for unqualified people, Nick. I'm qualified. I'm beyond qualified. Look at my resume, dude. Every event that I've been a part of, highest grossing gate, most viewership in WWE history. What's the common denominator? Me! I'm the common denominator. I'm a prize fighter. You have me fighting for free next Friday on SmackDown in Utah? In Utah? (laughs) Nick, I should be getting the rock treatment. Walk in here, do what I want, smack somebody across the face, back on the jet. All right, I'll do it. But I'm not happy about this. You see that? And no, listen, just so you know, I'm going to Australia. I'm going to win the Elimination Chamber. And after I beat Seth Rollins in our rematch at WrestleMania, I'm waltzing out of there as a double champ. So thank you for that. This was great. (laughs) Like legitimately great. Super entertaining. One of the best segments on SmackDown. Paul sold it so well. And he put over The Miz. He later learned that it was going to be The Miz like um, at the end of the segment as his opponent. And he put over Miz acting like it's a death sentence. Now he has no chance to win. He was so freaking good. Legitimately excellent the way he stormed into the office, showed confidence, told the story, not just with his words, but his intonation and his body language. It's trite because we say it all the time, but he's made for this. This was another clear example of that being the case. It's also going to be his first TV match in WWE, which on its own is pretty cool. It also acknowledged what we just said, which was he was supposed to be given an opponent and he wasn't. Right. So, you know, like it, it all made sense. My only thing, my reaction to the Miz segment, maybe I, I misheard it or needed to watch it again, but I took that as why do I have to fight the Miz? I'm I'm much better than the Miz. I'm much higher level. Oh, no, I Miz. took it as like he is a world champion before and he's really accomplished an experience. And I can't believe that you're making me fight him. Oh, maybe that's the way I, I, I took it. I maybe I heard it wrong. That's how I yeah, took it. I, I took it as like the Miz. Like I, I'm insulted that I would have to be wrestling the Miz, uh, let alone be in a qualifying match. But uh, either way, those two are great together. Um, and I think they'll be a good match. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So that's a good from you as well. Uh, Drew McIntyre backstage on Raw was told he will fight Cody next week. Drew talked about Seth trying to get Cody to fight him despite fans not wanting it, calling him selfish. McIntyre called himself an underdog, having to beat Styles and then win the chamber just to get in the match that he wants against Rollins. Then he implored Cody to get out of the match, saying two things no one wants are to be in his prayers or fighting him one-on-one. Given what happened with CM Punk especially, I'd have liked a little more from Drew on Raw, given he's like Hansel right now. He's so hot. But 
it was just a packed show. And he still got to deliver a good promo that pushed things forward. Got to presume next week's a DQ finish. There would be zero reason to beat Cody and zero reason to beat Drew at this juncture. Yep. This was another promo segment on Raw that just felt different. Like it was shot a little bit different, I mm-hmm. think, than they normally do them. That stuff. Also, he had a really funny social media bit where uh, he wore the shirt again and and uh, Pierce was going to f- find him for it or said he was going to find him for it. He had to take it off. So he takes it off and he's wearing another one underneath it. <laughs> really funny stuff. He's, he's been good on social media as well. I didn't see that. I feel bad I missed it because that does sound funny. Uh, so Zayn fought Nakamura. This was set up with Sammy saving Cody last week from a double attack by McIntyre and Nakamura after Raw. Uh, Zane did another arena sit down interview, reiterating that his belief in himself last year carried him to WrestleMania. He again promised he would become a champion when Nakamura interrupted on the big screen again in the empty arena. He said Sammy's had the glory in his moments, yet he acts miserable and wants sympathy just like Cody. Nakamura promised to grab his soul and continue his warpath. Cody later gave Sammy some confidence, saying that he and the fans all believe in him. McIntyre later gave Zane an ultimatum to keep his name out of his mouth and his nose out of his business. They stared down each other like for an extended period as Sammy made his way out to the ring. So Zayn did a pretty cool flip off the ropes mocking Nakamura. He also hit a Mishinoku driver, huge tope, and blew Thunderbomb for a couple near falls. Nakamura caught Zayn trying to go old school through the turnbuckle outside. He added two flying knees to the back of the neck for false finishes. Sammy came back with an exploder suplex in the corner, leading Drew down to distract. Shinsuke immediately took out Zayn's knee and hit Kinshasa to the back of the head for the victory. The heels double-teamed Sammy after the bell. Cody made the big baby face save to end the show while simultaneously setting up next week's main event against Drew. He hit Cody Cutter on Drew, crossroads again on Nakamura. This was exactly what it should have been. I would obviously have preferred Shinsuke to win clean, but at least he got a victory after losing so many of these feuds. And it furthered Sammy's losing streak as well as the McIntyre-Zayn beef itself, which should hopefully lead to that triple threat at WrestleMania. It's possible Sammy does something else. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the continued interactions with Drew and their long-term storyline makes them fighting in the same match, I think, a much better move. I also loved how Shin interrupted Sammy's arena promo. So cool the way they did that. This was actually a double good. The two promos to start and then the match itself. Yep, uh, it was good. When when Sami Zayn lined up for, I don't even know if it's called old school or what that whole thing is called, but I was like, oh man, we haven't seen Sami Zayn do this in a long time. The like, dive like through the thing. It's not called that. That's just what I called it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I know old school is the undertaker on the top rope or right. whatever. I don't know. Exactly. But um, so obviously he didn't hit it. I'd love to see him hit it then at some point. Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll build up to him hitting it or something. But yeah, again, I'm just intrigued now how Sami Zayn gets into this picture they seem to be wanting him in because he lost a qualifier. I know he was cheated out of it or whatever. Um, where where does he go from here? But clearly him and Drew are the story. Um, and at some way, the title will get involved in that. So I see three different paths for Sammy. One is McIntyre wins Elimination Chamber. Zayn fights his way into the WrestleMania match. He makes Drew's life hell. He you know, plays on Seth's sympathies, somehow gets himself in. Mm -hmm. Second, he becomes Gunther's contender for the Intercontinental title. And then third, and the third, let me be clear, can also happen with the first. He winds up winning Money in the Bank later this year. And really, Chris, he is the perfect babyface to hold that briefcase. You want 
a Dolph Ziggler money in the bank cash in pop. Sami Zayn is that person. If I had the book, this is what I would do. I would have McIntyre beat Rollins for the title at WrestleMania in a triple threat involving Zayn. He throws Sammy out of the ring after a Luva kick or Sammy takes a stomp from Rollins and something happens. Maybe that distracts him. Drew steals his moment, basically. Steals the moment, wins the title at WrestleMania. Drew gets crowned exactly like he should be. Then Zayn wins Money in the Bank. And Chris, do you happen to know where Money in the Bank is this year? Uh, Is it in Montreal? No, it's in Toronto. But it is in Canada. Yeah, there you go. It is in Canada. And by the way, if he wins Money in the Bank in Canada, especially if it opens the show, what's to stop him from cashing in by the end of the show? So it's it's a Money in the Bank tradition to cash in on the same show. Unfortunately, yes, it is. But even if he didn't do that, the fact of McIntyre being champion and Zayn having the briefcase, it's perfect. It's it's the entire story played out through a six-month period or so. It's what I would do if I had the book. The only question is, what the hell do you do with Damian Priest in that case? Maybe Priest cashes in during the triple threat, makes it a fatal four-way. I could see that being a possibility. Maybe Priest is the one who gets pinned by McIntyre, thus protecting Rollins and protecting Sammy. Couple different options there. But if I had the book, that's how I would book Sammy Zan. I don't know exactly how you get there, but I would have Sammy just straight up beat Drew in Montreal or in Toronto and Money in the Bank. Not not a not a thing and a cash in. I think you just you build it up because th- those two can tell a great story. You know, just make that be a really big match, uh, maybe the main event of the show, and and, and do it there. But. I think Sami Zayn's got to be involved in WrestleMania at this point because he does. We're still two months. Mu- we're still two months out. You know, um, y- you're not building this up now for six months from now. You know, so um, I don't know. We'll see. It- oh, I-, I think he's involved in Mania no matter what. I'm just saying I don't think he wins there. I I know people want him to win and, and get the big babyface pop at Mania, and sure he deserves it. But he he won the main event of WrestleMania last yeah. year. He doesn't yes. need to have yes. that a- again. Event. Yes. For me, it's for me. I think what they didn't give us was him winning in Canada. Right, which is why you give him the title win in Canada. Which is why you give him the title it. win in Canada. I just wouldn't do it via cash-in, but... Sure, well, yeah. I think I think that's what you do. It's one or the other. It could be one or the other or both. Money in the bank, the title, or money in the bank and the title. And you still get the huge moment. Sure. You know, one way or the other. Uh, New Day, I almost called him New Day. New Jay fought Imperium in a six-man. Uh, Gunther avoided Jey Uso until he was prone. Then it got heated between them with stare-downs throughout the match. At one point... Gunther was talking trash to Jay while applying a Boston Crab to Kofi Kingston. So Jay literally just walked through the ropes and slapped the shit out of him across the face. I laughed. I thought it was hysterical. They had an extended back and forth before Giovanni Vinci tagged in to eat a three-man 1D. New Day took out the heels and Jay landed the Uso splash on Vinci for the win. This went two commercial breaks. It was simply too long to maintain the energy it had at the start and at the close. Nothing too special about it other than the Gunther-Jay interactions but it set the stage for an Intercontinental Championship match next week on TV. New Jay learned about that backstage. They were hyped for it. And overall, this was good. Yeah, it was good. It was a bit long. Um, like like you said, it was about half hour, first half hour of the whole show. Um, but it was good. Made sense. And you set up Jay for, for, for Gunther. And I was curious if it, I was like, are we doing Jay Gunther WrestleMania? You figure we might do Jay um, Jimmy there, mm-hmm. but. Clearly, it's going to happen a lot quicker than that, so that's good. Well, this sets that up because what better way to reignite the Usos feud 
with Jimmy screwing over Jay for the Intercontinental Championship, keeps Jay strong, gets their feud going, and gives him an excused loss to Gunther. Yet, in the rest of the match, it looks like he has a chance to beat him. Yep. Uh, pretty deadly, we're hanging out at a gazebo with Elton Prince seeing a cloud shaped like Queen Elizabeth. Kit Wilson revealed a crippled claw-like hand due to Pete Dunne breaking his fingers. They decided to overcome the adversity and show everyone on SmackDown what Pretty Deadly is all about. This was worth a chuckle, not much more. Extremely light good for me. I thought this was really funny. I mean, I mean, I know it's like low tier type of stuff, but all of these vignettes with Pretty Deadly are hilarious. I think they are great. I I, I want to see more of them. The like the Queen in the Clouds was just like so bizarre. <laughs> I love I love that they keep saying Pete Dunay. Uh, also, oh, by the way, I wrote this down. Finally, somebody is selling the broken fingers. I say this all the yes, time. When everybody, right. does, when everybody does the break your fingers move, and I'm like, why are they fine the next week? Shouldn't they be selling that? We've got one of them here with his hands taped up. Loved it. This yeah, is great. That did work. You're right. Uh, DIY fought Tyler Bate and Pete Dunn in a number one contendership for the tag team championship. Johnny Gargano nailed Dunn with a poison Rana. Bate did a combination airplane spin and swing with DIY, kind of convoluted. Gargano countered the double bitter end, but ate bop and bang. Tommaso Ciampa tagged in blind to stop the rebound lariat, hitting Prozic Ciampa for a false finish. Dunn prevented meat in the middle by snapping Ciampa's fingers with DIY eating a double rebound lariat. Dunn caught Gargano trying the slingshot spear with a fist to the face, adding bitter end for the win. All four of the baby faces dapped up after the bell, and Gargano actually got his nose busted open in the match. This was fantastic. I promised you it would be last week, and it was. Perfect NXT black and gold callback. With DIY just losing their title shot, the one they just had, it made sense for British Strong Style to win here. But there's no question DIY was more over with the fans in this match. It was exactly what it needed to be, and easily the best one on SmackDown, which is saying something. We had McIntyre Styles and Zayn Orton on the same show, and this was the best. Four stars A minus for the lads, an obvious good. I'm just so happy that Dunn and Bate are going to be on a stadium show of this degree. That is a great spotlight for them. And a very quick spotlight. I mean, Bate's been only on the main roster for like a month or so. So um, that's good. That's exciting. It'll be fun. They did a, um, on social media, these two teams did like a, like a gear swap, like a, like a jersey swap. Um, they put out, it was kind of funny. Yeah, I saw that. I was a little confused how that worked a little bit because like, <laughs> you know, it's your like speedo underwear, right? Like what do you, you know, your, your ring gear, it's not really, there's not much there, right? Um, yeah, like team teams aren't sharing equipment, you know, like here's my football helmet. Right, you know, exactly. You got to go get a new one. Yeah. Know? And it's not like these guys wear gloves or something where it makes sense to easily, you know, change it out or a t-shirt that they wore on a match that they can easily switch. Those guys, they all wrestled bare chested, I think. So it was just, <laughs> I, I like the, yeah, I like the concept of it. It was yeah, a good concept, but you got to do it a little bit smarter in some way to make it like make sense, I guess. Uh, R-Truth fought JD McDonough over on Raw. Truth was messing around with the guys again when Damian Priest pushed him aside and set him straight about the entire situation, saying he was never in Judgment Day and never would be. Then he said the match on Raw would be an execution, nothing more. Adam Pierce backstage had to literally force Truth through the curtain out of gorilla position because he was trying to call Miz, knowing that he needed backup because Miz was right the entire time. Judgment Day doesn't like him. Truth at the attitude adjustment and five moves of doom, but McDonough followed with devil inside for the win. I feel like that's the first time he's hit his finisher on the main roster. It's a really good finisher. I'm glad people are getting to see it. Judgment Day celebrated and attacked after the bell, ripping his shirt off. 
DIY ultimately made the save with some scattered chance. And then later backstage, they said Miz called them for help and Truth was just thrilled to get helped by DX, calling them Shawn Michaels and Triple H and saying he's got two words for him. Thank you. Good, simple continuation. The backstage segment was better than the rest of it, if we're being honest. But I gotta tell you, Chris, I know where we're going or I feel like I know where we're going. And I am dreading Judgment Day against Awesome Truth at WrestleMania. It feels inevitable. It's not the way the title reign should end. There are better legitimate tag teams. I just don't really like it. Dude, I'm giving this a bad. How many times do we have to see R-Truth get beat up for 10 seconds? Like, if I, I feel like I'm crazy saying the same thing every week. If you're going to do it, do it. He just keeps getting beat up and someone saves him and then that's it. Like we're, we're not. Yeah, but now no he recognized on the show it. though that it's over. Yes, that's the one little step forward. That's why I'm giving it a good because they actually progressed the storyline. They did, but they, I just like, we went through all of this to never really, they just say, you're not in Judgment Day, you're not in Judgment Day. Every single week, it was the same thing. I think I made the missionary position joke last week. I don't want to do it here again. Like it, it just... I was like, oh, are we finally going to do it? No, we're not missing him safe. Like, guys, just beat our truth to hell. So then when somebody comes to his back the next week, it means something. And we, it's fine. I, What's I your take? Say, Let, let's, let's, this is bad for you. What's your take on that being the WrestleMania match? If it is. I'm fine with it because they did sort of tell the story. They just didn't tell it nearly as well as they should have and could have. But you're okay with them getting the the lone tag team title match at WrestleMania. Awesome truth. It feels to me, it feels to me, it feels to me like going back to Braun Strowman and Nicholas is what it feels like to me. Feels like what? Sorry. Going back to Braun Strowman and Nicholas. Sort of. Yes. Similar. Because like this could have been great. They could have told the story of, of like Miz desperately trying to be our truth friend and our truth not seeing it. And then eventually he does. And it's like you could have like taken us on a ride instead. He just gave us the same thing every single week with the same jokes every single week. And then we're probably going to do that. And if you have one tag team championships and undisputed tag team championships, no, that should not be the match. Like I, I, I see what they did. I just think it was very lazily done when there was a great story to be told and they just did it in the cheapest way possible. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. (laughs) I love that promo so much. Uh, Andrade got his first video promo package saying he had to decide what he wants and deserves in this life. He talked about leaving Lucha Libre in Mexico, becoming a champion in WWE. Andrade said the titles were not enough. He needed to leave to get back to being himself. And now he knows the direction he's heading. He looked like a million bucks here, but I'm failing to understand, this is what we've talked about already, why he's not on TV competing in matches already. That's what he's best at. The charisma aspect has always been lacking. It's been like three Raws since the Royal Rumble. All we've gotten is a short backstage segment and this video. This guy could have been in the Elimination Chamber match showing out in early elimination, but it would have worked. Despite all of that though, on its own, this was good. It's a light good. You all know my thoughts. I don't really care for Andrade. I think Santos Escobar is better in every single way that they're similar. Um, Fine. I I don't really care. 
Quick DM from Michael Keffer at Michael Keffer. He said, hey, guys, I was at Raw in Lexington last night and a few thoughts. Samantha Irvin is even better in person. As I told you guys after the Royal Rumble, as I'm sure Chris has said previously, she kept the crowd energized and engaged throughout the entire event. The production of the event seemed really smooth. Cody Rhodes addressed the crowd after, gave away a weight belt and took his shoes off to give them to children in the crowd and then stayed after the event to sign autographs and take pictures in his socks. Really class act shows why he's the top baby face in the company. Just wanted to share my brief thoughts. Keep up the great work, Michael. Appreciate the note. I did see that right before we taped the show. As mentioned, I'm going to go through the other DMs and tweets. We'll get to the rest of you in the coming week or weeks. Before we get out of here, real quick Elimination Chamber card update. We haven't really done this yet. It's a week away. We're going to have our ultimate preview in the same spot next week. A couple items. Number one, Chris, the time. It's going to start. They changed it a little bit. 6 p.m. in Perth which is a 5 a.m. Eastern start time here in the United States. It's 4 a.m. for you, Central Time. What the hell are we going to do? 4 a.m., so what, three-hour show probably done by 7? I don't know. Do you you think the listeners want to wake up to a review, or do you think most people are going to watch it throughout the day? I feel like... We haven't decided yet. We have to talk about it. I'm thinking... We wake up early, but not that early, if that makes sense. Well, I I'm like we start the show. I think I think we should start watching the show while it's live is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm, I'm just going to watch it live because I'll be spoiled otherwise. And I just I'll suck I know. It up and deal with it. <sighs> I know. But we but we don't have to record immediately if you want to sleep in. If some if someone has something going on. Um, well, I'm gonna say, if you're waking up at 4 a.m., I'm waking up at 5 a.m. It's as simple as that. And we did talk. Didn't we have a conversation where like we're going to do day beers or day drinks for this? Hey, this is morning beer. <laughs> Let's do it. it. Let's do it. Really more like this is not even morning beers. I'll this do a screwdriver. Like, I'll get some OJ and vodka. Crack of the crack of dawn. Or uh, I'll Literally either I'll either get OJ and vodka or I'll get a uh, one of those seltzers, which I don't really like, but they're fruity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because look, like you've sometimes like I'll, I'll we'll watch Raw on delay because there's Monday Night Football or something like that. I can't do that. I just I have to watch something live. I don't want to be spoiled. Yeah. Um. So it's just what I'm going to have to do. All right. We're going to wake up early. We're going to have your WWE Elimination Chamber ultimate preview next Tuesday and your instant analysis, perhaps before most of you even watch the show. But quickly, here's the card update. Women's World Championship, Rhea Ripley against Nia Jax. Men's Chamber, we have Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, Bobby Lashley, and LA Knight in that match so far. Women's Chamber, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, and Liv Morgan. Tag Team Championship, Finn Balor and Damian Priest against Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne. As of right now, a four-match card. We're unlikely to see the World Heavyweight Championship, obviously because Seth Rollins is injured. We're unlikely to see the WWE Universal Championship because we never see Roman Reigns. Intercontinental Championship we will not see because Gunther cannot travel over there. United States Championship TBD, depending whether Logan Paul is in the men's chamber match. And there's nothing else I can think of that might be on the card, Chris. Yeah, I mean, chamber matches take a while. That all makes sense. Um, I just think let's not, I'm just thinking about the time again. Let's not do shows in Australia again. Sorry, sorry, sorry for our Australian listeners. No, no, they can do them in Australia. They can't do them in Perth. It's very similar to the United States. Perth is three hours behind like Sydney and everyone on the East coast of the country. So if they had done it on the other side, it would have been a far more palatable time. We do like we, we've dealt with this a lot. The last couple of years we, we had the, Olympics in Tokyo and China. Oh, we had God, the, yeah. the Women's World Cup was in New Zealand, Australia, I think. 
and it just made for really difficult. Uh, uh, don't forget, by the way, Chris, we're complaining about this. OK, and and yeah, we have the American mindset, but there's Aussies out there listening to us and we do have listeners over there. F you guys. I want to show at 6 p.m. You know, like this is great sure for them do. or, or you know, for I guess it would be 9 p.m. over on the uh the East Coast, I guess, of Australia or whatever you would call it over there, or people in England or France or Israel, all these people who listen to us, like, F you guys. Like, we like this. This is great for us. So I'm glad you all are happy for us. It's absolute hell, especially because we have to do the show. But speaking of it being in Australia, you mentioned this earlier, Chris. I think there's four Aussies on the main roster, not counting anyone from New Zealand who, of course, still uh, important to them. I think Dakota Kai is from... New Zealand. Maybe you can check that while I'm talking. And She is from, yep, New Zealand. Okay, good. So I don't think there's anyone else aside from her, but there's four Aussies. So far, one of them is booked for the show. And I assume Grayson Waller is going to get a talk show segment. So maybe that's two. But Reed, I noted earlier, he might be out. Maybe Indy Hartwell gets a kickoff match of some kind. They do a women's tag team situation. I know the two chamber matches are going to be long. It feels like Candice and Indy they could have won a number one contendership, done that match against the Kabuki Warriors. Waller could have been put in an angle so he has an actual scheduled real match on the show. I don't understand what they're doing with the Aussies. Yeah, and shoot, remember they released Tennille Dashwood like the day they announced this show too. She was excited about having a, a home home uh, event too. So yeah, I, I'm surprised. Like, They don't need to lean into everybody and obviously the big moment is Rhea Ripley and we're going to get that. That's ultimately the most important thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, Bronson Reed, you explained maybe Grayson Waller gets a talk show. I'd love Grayson Waller to get more in Perth. I'd love for him to get more on regular television. I think he's right. incredibly talented. Yeah. I don't understand why they're not doing anything with him. Uh, so it just kind of ended up being what it was. But yeah, if you're going to do this big show, go to Australia, do these international types of things, you figured you'd lean into it as much as possible. All right. Well, that is the end of, I guess, the extended good, bad, and ugly part of this episode. And we said we're not going two and a half hours, but guess what, Chris? We're pretty much going to go two and a half hours here. We did. So let's go ahead and move into the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make the scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. All right, real quick from Brendan at object at rest underscore. How would you feel about a G1 type tournament setting the field for Money in the Bank? Six groups of four with each group winner qualifying for the match. He's talking about like round robin groups, Chris. Mm -hmm. uh, he said it would make the briefcase feel more earned, add more intrigue into the build to the PLE and showcase more wrestlers on weekly TV. You could even use some NXT call-ups, et cetera. I think it's a great idea, honestly. Like I don't like when Money in the Bank matches just announce people as in them. So they should all be qualified, meaning they have to win at least a match to get in. I think what you're suggesting, like just being candid, when it comes to WWE TV and the fact that they're doing a premium live event mostly every month, it's going to be difficult to find the amount of screen time to do six four-person pods and do enough matches where like the qualification makes sense there. But I do like the idea. And if they had the time and could execute it, then I would be 100% all for it. Yeah, I, I'm, it's fine. It's just, it's not my personal thing. You know, I, I like, I went to the G1 uh, when it was in Dallas. It was fun. But like the Continental Classic in AEW, like it was fine because that, like, that was AEW's brand. It just, it doesn't 
feel WWE. I'd much rather simply have a good King of the Ring. Yes. Uh, as, a, as opposed to an entire G1 thing. Because to, to me, the wrestling is not the most important thing on the show. To a lot of people, it is. We just have different opinions on that. Um, so I, I would prefer that, but uh, I, I don't hate the idea. I, the Continental Classic, I know, got rave reviews. I thought it finished really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the better things AEW's ever done. It just doesn't feel WWE to me. I want a 16-man King of the Ring tournament. Just give me that yeah. once a year. The Silver King is happy. And Queen of the Ring, obviously, as well. Can do 16 women. They should have enough right now. If you don't, you do eight. That's fine. But they got to bring that back. They almost did last year. I hope they do in 2024. That's a real good way to wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Like I said, we were not planning to go long today, but that is how the conversation took us. At some point soon, we're going to get back to those 90-minute-plus episodes I promise you, it's just been a wild period of time here on Getting Over and really more specifically with WWE. In terms of what is still to come this week, I do hope and plan to have that special interview episode for you, stuff from the Royal Rumble press junket, a couple things from the WrestleMania kickoff event all combined into a singular episode. We also will be back on Thursday with your next NXT and AEW episode next week, one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel. We will have your WWE Elimination Chamber ultimate preview. And of course, two weekends from now, we will have your WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis. You are not going to want to miss any of that. On the way out, allow me to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defied. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show, just like we did at the start of today's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. And if you still want to tweet and DM us stuff, I promise you, it'll get on the show sooner than later. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well. $5 a month or 50 for the entire year. You can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus audio, exclusive news. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. It's been great to see that grow, especially over the last couple of weeks. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.